0: NASCAR Race Review, and uh, this week we are reviewing uh, two races at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, one race at Lucas Oil Raceway, and another race in Irwindale, California. So uh, joining me as co-host for tonight's show is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay.
1: Thank you, Sharon. Looking forward to quite the 4th of July weekend. I'm sure we'll see some fireworks both on and off the track.
0: Yes, indeed. This is the crossover event where uh, we start uh, watching some of these races on NBC Sports Network. And uh, with the COVID-19, we're going to see a little bit of um, uh, combining of efforts, if you will, for a while. And uh, But this weekend is definitely going to be on NNBC Weekend. We're going to first preview the ARCA West Series at Irwindale Speedway along with the ARCA Menard Series at Lucas Oil Raceway. Uh, if we get an opportunity, and I'm hoping we do, we'll give a few updates from the ARCA East. Uh, now, they're not racing this weekend, but uh, we'll kind of keep everybody up to date with what's going on in that series. At 9 o'clock, we'll get into the Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series. Again, they're not racing this weekend, but we do have a few updates there. And then at 9.20, we'll preview the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They're racing for the very first time, Jay, on the road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So that's going to be very exciting. And then, of course, at 9.40, We'll preview the NASCAR Cup Series at Indianapolis. Uh, They're racing the regular track there. And then 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with uh, co-host Andy Lasky and our fan-for-racing crew. So it's a big night, Jay.
1: It is, and you mentioned the uh, Xfinity Series being on the road course uh, at Indianapolis, and that's where I think we may see some of the fireworks I was talking about that happen on the track. Uh, We've seen what the Charlotte Roval has created, and I expect to see some of the same there at Indy.
0: I think so. Okay, now let's go ahead and get started with our annuals 125 presented by NAPA Auto Parts at Irwindale Speedway in Irwindale, California. They're racing Saturday, July the 4th at uh, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, That's going to be probably 9 p.m. Eastern time. Now, if you're a Track Pass Gold member, NBC Gold member, you'll be able to uh, follow along with that live streaming at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, The NBC Sports Network delay will be on Sunday, July the 12th at 12 a.m. So that's one that most of us are probably going to DVR because, I don't know, I know I'm not going to be up at 12 o'clock to watch it. Uh, and I'm guessing some others may not be either. So definitely uh, want to set the DVRs for that. Now, this is a half-mile paved oval. I was just talking to my daughter. We've actually – I'm sorry, no, this is not the one. Uh, This is the half-mile paved oval at Irwindale Speedway, and uh, – That's going to be an exciting race because uh, we've got a lot of competition going on there in the West between Bill McAnally Racing and Sunrise Ford Racing.
1: As we've seen every year, and I certainly think it's going to continue to play out um, this weekend, uh, interesting thing be Blaine Perkins coming off the win, the momentum that he's carrying, but we've also seen some other drivers uh, really looking to step up and battle for this championship.
0: Well, and Tim Huddleston is kind of the the guy who manages Irwindale Speedway. His son Trevor uh, Trevor Huddleston is racing at that track, and Blaine. And they both Trevor and Blaine Perkins have won championships at that track as part of the All American Wheeling Series with NASCAR. So they're very very familiar with that track. Uh, He earned his, uh, Blaine Perkins earned his first race win uh, last Saturday at Utah, and uh, Trevor Huddleston rebounded from mechanical issues in the first of two races at Utah to salvage his day, and likewise, couldn't ask for a better place to go to next for those two Sunrise Ford teammates. Uh, it's, it's, It's almost like heading home for those guys.
1: And I always think that makes a race interesting when you do have somebody that has history at the track, maybe in a different class, but they do know the track. So it's taking what they've learned as far as the track and applying it to a different car or series. But that definitely, Mm -hmm. I think, does give them somewhat of an advantage.
0: I think so. Uh, Now, Huddleston ended up in the wall at the end of last year's event. He did have to have his car towed to Victory Lane, but he couldn't stop smiling because he did win that race. Um, the 24-year-old from Agora Hills, California, overcame a transmission problem uh, the entire race, and he nipped Tanner Gray at the finish line by just .03 seconds to score his first career West win. Now, the victory came at the premier California facility that his father, Tim, bought in 2017 so that was a big moment for Trevor Huddleston and he'd love to repeat that this week.
1: I'm sure I'm sure he would. Again, you always remember your first one your most emotional uh and we've seen that since then again the the wins do come easier following that as they say.
0: He's also won the three-track championships between 2015 and 2017, and uh, that's in the NASCAR Advanced uh, Parts Weekly Series. He also won the LKQ, Pick Your Parts Late Model Opener, uh, earlier this year. Huddleston is piloting that number six for Sunrise Ford, and uh, his replacement In the number nine, of course, is Blaine Perkins, and both of them are very excited. Um, After the 20-year-old from Bakersfield collected his first two career General Tire Pole Awards, and we're talking about Perkins here, and his first race win, he heads to the track where he has won four times uh, last year en route to the track's Late Model Championship. Uh, Utah's other winner Jesse Love arrives in Southern California with the championship points lead by virtue of a win And a pair of runner-up finishes in the first three races Now his Bill McAnally teammate Lawless Allen is two years removed from winning uh, at Irwindale's late model crown And uh, Bill McAnally has a history of success in the West there uh, before last year, BMR won the last five West races at Irwindale, and they have a total of 13 wins by seven different driver six since the track opened in 1999. So that gives you a flavor of the competition between these two organizations at that track. But I, I do think that the Sunrise Ford guys have a little bit of an advantage this time.
1: Well, and I love it when you give stats like that. I start with, oh, I'm like maybe I should look at this guy as the one to watch, and then you get you back that up with another driver, and it's like, well, maybe not so quick. And that's what adds so much excitement to this series, is there are so many, and then you got the ones that rookies that are unproven or haven't had that experience. You don't know where they're at, so we have to wait and see.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, Now. There's going to be two consecutive laps for qualifying. No adjustment or repairs can be made on the car after taking the green flag to start finish line. At the start finish line, all cars must make a qualifying attempt, and all drivers must practice before they can qualify. Uh, Now, pitting during this event uh, will be for making repairs and adjustments only. They can take no tires or fuel, uh, uh, can be changed or added. During those pit stops Uh, The race is a 125 lap 62.5 mile race And it will be run in one Segment with no brakes The maximum tire allotment Available for this event Four tires for the open test Four tires for practice qualifying And four tires for the race For a total of 12 tires And that is it So uh, Did you see the The uh, entry list how many people are on that entry list jay
1: There are 17 on the entry list so again a pretty full field uh, or not a full field but a big field i know we've seen as low as maybe 12 to 14 this one has 17 so looking at a good field of cars here for the mm. Menards west
0: Okay so that pretty much covers covers it cuz for qualifying they're saying the first 18 cars in the field will be set by that two lap qualifying uh, event so that covers all 17 cars who are the drivers we have not yet mentioned from Bill McAnally or Sunrise Ford
1: uh, let's see you hit on him just you love uh, Holly Holland in the number 50 he will be driving a Bill McAnally Toyota and I think all the ones from Brucati got mentioned uh, Geo Scalzi, which is kind of the number 16 Napa Auto Parts uh, with curb record, uh, Mike Curb as the crew chief, or listed as the car owner, but I know that's kind of a team car to them.
0: Okay. Uh, and then there's also uh, Jerry Pitts uh, has uh, driver uh, racing in Devon Dots, and he'll be in the number seven. Uh, Jerry Pitts will also be the crew chief uh, for that team, and it is a Ford team. There's also the number eight of Johnny Barnman, the third, and that's a – he owns the team. Will Harris is his crew chief, also driving a Ford uh, for that group.
1: Uh, Number 11, that'll be, excuse me, Dustin Ash for John Wood, and I believe – Don, oh, that one's a different one. Jack Wood driving for a Don Wood in a Toyota in the number 78.
0: Okay. Uh, and Sonny Wall is the crew chief there for Dustin Ash. And for the number 78, it's Ty Joyner. Uh, we know that name. Okay. And then Lawless Allen, uh, that's another Bill McAnally uh, racing car. He'll be in the number 12. Toyota this week with Gary Collins on top of the pit box there.
1: Then we have another one that I think is going to be a player this year. Uh, Looking back real quick at the points, I believe he's fifth in points, and that's Todd Souza in the number 13. Uh, Souza owned Toyota with Michael Munoz on the pit box for him.
0: Gio Scalzi, another Bill McAnally racing driver. He'll be in the number 16. Uh, and his crew chief is going to be John Calmillary. Cal- so uh, watch for him in that number 16 as another Bill McAnally driver.
1: Well, we've talked about before there uh, with Jeff Jefferson, both as the owner and crew chief. The number 42 of Brittany Zamora, the one to keep your eye on as well as the number 27 of Bobby Hillis, Jr., in a cell phone team with Ed Ash as the crew chief.
0: Okay, you've mentioned uh, Holly Holland. Uh, she's going to have Henry uh, Nassi Cimento, <laughs> uh, in Cimento uh, on top of the pit box for that number 50 car. And the number 54 car is Joey Ice. Uh, and his crew chief is his team owner, Mike Naki. So, uh, again, watch for him in that number 54 car.
1: I think the only two here that we haven't talked about yet, the number 77, at Takuma Koga, with Ron Norman on the box, and I believe he is sitting, yep, 10th in points. We'll get to the full points in just a minute. And then Bridget Burgess in the number 88, owned by Sarah Burgess, as well as crew chiefing.
0: Yeah, isn't that something? We don't see a female crew chief very often.
1: Oh, I see that again, expanding the roles within the series.
0: Okay, and then Gracie Trotter in the number 99 car for Bill McAnally. Uh Roger Bracken will be her crew chief on top of the pit box. So that pretty much covers it for the ARCA West. Next up, Jay, is uh, Lucas Oil Raceway, and that's the one my daughter and I were talking about. It doesn't seem that long ago we were watching. We went to one of the races out there in Brownsburg, Indiana, uh, for the um, uh, Xfinity Series when they were racing there, and that was really good racing. So if you're anywhere near Lucas Oil Raceway this weekend, I would strongly suggest uh, you get out there and watch this race. It's Friday, July the 3rd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on MAV-TV and is also available with live streaming on Track Pass on NBC Gold at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, this is a .686-mile paved oval, and um, a lot of a lot of really great racing at that track and fond memories. There's uh, going to be quite a few drivers to watch here, too, Jay.
1: There more certainly is. And that is one of those uh, I have very few regrets in life. But uh, when I went to the Brickyard, I did not go over the day before to go to, at that time, I think it was ORP. I know it's been ORP, mm-hmm. IRP, LOP. <laughs> um, and I do regret <laughs> that because, yeah, watching it on TV... Uh, looks like a heck of a facility. Yeah,
0: it's a lot it's a lot of fun to watch racing there. It's like uh home track racing. Okay, so Indy provides uh, the next test for contenders, back to back speedways testing. The Arkham Art series drivers at very high speeds. Now the championship chase Uh, heads to close-quarter racing at Lucas Oil Raceway in Indianapolis. Not only is the Calypso Lemonade 200 the fifth race in the championship slate, it's also round two of the Sioux Chiefs Showdown. So that's going to make it exciting as well. That means that points and positions will be at a premium at that track on Friday night. Uh, And uh, Chandler Smith right now leads – that Sioux chief showdown heading into Indy. So he's definitely going to be one of the drivers to watch.
1: He always is when it comes to short track. We've seen that in the past. He'll be in the number 20, Billy Venturini and crew chief to actually buy uh, per the list. We have anyway, crew chief by Billy Venturini. So definitely one to watch, but there is 19 others. Uh, again, a big field, 20 cars here for this weekend's event. Uh, Wow. I know at the end we'll kind of pick who we think is going to win, but it's going to be a tough one to pick from.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, one driver that's going to be on a lot of people's list is 29-year-old 25, 25, from Park City, Utah, Michael Self. Uh, he's never finished worse than eighth in points in six previous seasons in which he's run the full schedule. He's finished fourth in the West. That was in 2013 and 17, and despite missing one race in 17, he finished second in the Archimedes Nard Series just last year. Now, Self has his sights on bringing home that elusive title. He's driven the number 25 Sinclair Lubricants Toyota to a win and a runner-up, and two fifth-place finishes, which now... Uh, has allowed him to maintain a 10-plus points lead in the series point standings. But his Venturini teammate, Chandler Smith, is the defending race winner by virtue of his win in the number 20 Toyota at Phoenix Raceway in March. Uh, The 18-year-old from Talking Rock, Georgia, also leads that Sioux Chief showdown standings. But the other driver to keep an eye on, Ty Gibbs. Coming off of wins in his last two times in the race car, he won at Toledo's uh, Ohio Speedway, and uh, in, that was in the Mar- Arca East. And this past weekend, he won in the Arca Menard Series at Pocono Raceway. He led 146 laps at Lucas Oil last year before getting clipped, battling for the lead, and eventually finishing 15th in that rain-shortened event. So... Uh, There's uh, several drivers To keep your eye on this weekend
2: Well
1: another one Looking to get back to the winning ways As he started out the season so strong In all the series he ran in That's number 21 Sam Mayer With GMS Marty Lindley Will be the crew chief for the Chevy Accessories number 21
0: Okay Now uh, The first 24 cars in the field Will be set by that two lap Qualifying Uh, There's not more than 24, so that pretty much covers the qualifying. They will run two consecutive laps. Again, no adjustments or repairs can be made on the car after taking the green flag at that start-finish line. All cars must make a qualifying attempt, and all drivers must practice before they can make a qualifying effort. Now, again, no adding or moving tires to or from the pit box once the race has started. A maximum of four crew members may service the car, and again, no tires, no fuel added outside of the break. Uh, The race itself is 200 laps for 137 miles and is run in three segments. The race will have the final break at or near the conclusion of lap 70, and the race will have a second break at or near the conclusion of lap 140. So uh, at the conclusion of the breaks, vehicles will line up in the order they were running at the beginning of the break. And per the ARCA rulebook, a maximum number of tires allowed in the pit box for use in this race is six. So that, there you have all the details uh, with regard to the race itself. And, Jay, I'm sure we have not mentioned everyone yet.
1: Oh, not by a long shot. Uh, two that I think this is going to play into, and it's just going by numerical order of the cars. The number one, Max McLaughlin with for uh, Hattori, Shiga Hattori Racing, Dave McCarty on the crew box as the crew chief. And then Haley Deegan in the number four for DGR, David Gillen, the owner, Seth Smith as the crew chief. These two coming out of the East and West. Series, uh, respectively, come from that short track, short style. So I think this is their their real shot at really mixing it up with these top contenders that have been there for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, good point. Now uh, we've got Tim, Rip, Tim Richmond from uh, Ottawa, Illinois, in the zero six car uh, for Wayne Peterson, Brad Fye Fry will be on top of the bit-back box for his Toyota. Then there's three Andy Hillenberg cars, Ryan Huff in the 10, Mike Basham in the 11, and Dick Doheny in that number 12. Uh, their crew chiefs, uh, Ryan will have Kevin Cram, uh, Mike will have Trey Galgon and Mike, Dick Doheny will have Mike Srope in that uh, crew chief role for those Toyotas
1: right behind that on the list going down numerically. Then you got the 15 of Drew Dollar and the Venturini Toyota uh, coming off a win a couple of weeks ago. We had him on the show. Great interview. See him get back to victory lane. Wouldn't be all that surprising with Shannon Rorsch as the crew chief. And then you mentioned last year uh, Tanner Gray. This year it'll be Taylor Gray in the number 17 for DGR Ford with Blake Bainridge as the crew chief.
0: Okay, now the next drivers we've mentioned already, including Ty Gibbs, Chandler Smith, and Sam Mayer. Uh, behind them is uh, in the number 22, Ford, is Derek Griffin for Chad Bryant Racing. Paul Andrews will be on top of the pit box for him. And then the 23 of Brett Holmes for his own racing team, Shane, Shane Huffman will be the pit uh, uh uh, crew chief for
1: that Chevrolet going a little bit further down as we have talked about Michael Self another Venturini machine the 32 of Holly the III in a Kevin Sawinski machine Chevrolet with Jimmy Jones and when I think of Sawinski I go back to growing up in the Midwest the ASA days <laughs> Kevin Swinsky as a driver there so that's another one kind of like Gus Dean I have a little bit of a soft spot in my heart there for that team
0: Okay, now you've heard this name before, but not uh, uh, not in the Harkin Menard series. Kyle Sieg in the number 42 for Bruce Cook. Uh, Sean Samuels will be the crew chief for his Chevrolet this weekend. Then we've got, I wonder if he's a brother or related to Ryan Sieg in any way. Uh, then we've got the number 46 of Thad Moffitt with Bo Lamastis, uh, part of the DGR-Crosley group. Uh, Derek Smith will be the crew chief for
1: his Ford. The final three we got on our entry list the 48 Brad Smith in the cell phone team with Jeff Smith as the crew chief. The number 69 for Bill Kimmel will be driver Brian Finney with Bill Kimmel crew chiefing. And then Justin Carroll in the Terry Carroll owned Toyota with Jim Long as the crew chief for the Carroll's Automotive number 91 Toyota.
0: Okay, and that covers it. 20 cars in this Arkham Menard Series race. And as we mentioned, this is kind of a uh, two for the price of one because it is also the Sioux Chief Showdown. Uh, Chandler Smith right now leads uh, those standings. It's going to be fun to see you know, what it's going to be coming out because right now, only one race in that Sioux Chief Showdown so far, and that was at Phoenix. Uh, so this is going to be only the second uh, race of that series. So right now, just one point separates all of these guys. Chandler Smith at the top, Michael Self in second, Ty Gibbs, Tanner Gray, and Zane Smith round out the top five. Then it goes to Nick Sanchez, uh, Haley Deegan, Chase Cabre, Lawless Allen, Geo Skelsey rounding out the top ten. Now, some of those names that you see on that list, are not going to be in this race. So that's definitely going to be one of the factors that are going to shake up those points, Jay.
1: It most certainly will be. And just listening to you there, I was looking at the overall point standings. You hear several of those names at the top of the regular standings, overall standings as well. Michael Self Mm. uh, leading that by 13 points over Drew Dollar. Haley Deegan in third at 17 back. Then you got Brett Holmes and Tanner Gray as your top five. So, it's going to be interesting there as well, as it looks like seven drivers so far have made all four Arkham Menard series starts.
0: Yes. So, uh, again, I think this is going to be a fun race to watch. Uh, I'm almost tempted to drive out there to watch it myself. Uh, it'd be a little bit of a drive for me, but uh, it would be a fun race to watch for sure for this Arkham Menard series out at LOR this weekend. Uh, I'm kind of envious for anybody who is able to go this weekend and watch this race. Uh, Again, uh, the race will be this Saturday. I'm sorry, this Friday, July the 3rd, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern uh, at Lucas Oil Raceway. Uh, And they do not show an NBC delayed broadcast, so you can watch it if you're not able to get out to the racetrack. Uh, hopefully, you've got Mav TV or the Track Pass NBC Gold that you can watch it live streaming. So, uh, definitely check that out. Okay, Jay, you we're need, you need getting to close... go ahead.
1: She's uh, talking about uh, and tempting me into packing up the Durango because it's not, quite, not a <laughs> short drive for me, but uh, I've been known to do things like that. I think that would be about a 14 hour or so. If I, if I jump off the show early and say I gotta go, I might be getting on the road. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, you're funny. Yeah, it, it's, it's you would not regret it. That's for sure. I'm sure these guys are going to put on a great show. But do you have Map TV?
1: I do not. Normally, I do. If I if I'm able to, I follow along on the uh, Arkham and Arts homepage there with their uh, live updates.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, they also do live updates, which uh, uh, is very, very helpful. Okay, we are getting to the top of the hour here. I don't know if you've got a couple minutes that you can do the um, what what's going on with our Fan for Racing Fantasy group.
1: All right. Uh, let's see. This weekend, again, with 28 points over the weekend, all four series, did have some shuffling in the points start with the uh, trucks. Owen now leads at wasn't. 23 to 20. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a good weekend. I wasn't me. going to mention that,
3: but
1: yeah, <laughs> you and I scored the lowest over that weekend. Uh but Owen Owen ended up with the truck points lead at 23 to 21 over uh Andy and moving up to the xfinity Andy still got a pretty good control over that one at 51 points. I'm at second with 38, Sharon's at 35, and on the cup side, that one stayed pretty steady, the points closed in a little bit though, Uh, I lead at 62, Andy's at 54, I hate to bring this up, but Sam moved into third now at 51, Owen into fourth at 49, Sharon I believe was second, You moved down to 48, so points wise not a 12, 14 point gap, but you did lose three positions in that.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh we'll have to see what happens this weekend. Uh and uh hopefully it'll be a better weekend than last weekend.
1: Well and All I can right, do that real but, quick. Uh, okay. we still got time or do you want me to hit them after? The picks.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Let's For the, the
1: Xfinity series. Uh Sam started us with Chase Briscoe. Sharon took Harrison Burton. Uh, Mike took Austin Sindrick, which I was hoping he would, because that left me with Noah Gregson, which is who I was picking. (laughs) Uh, Although I might have missed the boat here. Owen took A.J. Almendinger, and Andy took Ross Chastain. And I will check Twitter. I don't have James' pick, and he would be the final pick for the Xfinity. On the cup side, and I'm not going to give these in order because I messed this up a couple of times. I'm just going to go down the list. Sharon (laughs) took regular of uh, Martin Truex. Andy has Kevin Harvick. I took Joey Logano. James has Denny Hamlin. Owen had Chase Elliott. Mike has Brad Keselowski. And there we are waiting on Sam. Actually, I take that back.
0: Sam Sam came came in with Jimmy Johnson. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep, there we go. So Sam has Jimmy Johnson. And as I put it, we might have left the winner off and Kyle Busch. So we might be all kicking ourselves after this one.
0: I know. I'm, I was thinking about that, too. You never know. I might make a change before it's all said and done. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> as long as it's before the green flag. Okay. That's right, yes. Okay. Now, uh, one of the series that are not racing this weekend is the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. Uh, they will not be racing again until uh, Kentucky Speedway next weekend for the Buckle Up in Your Truck 225. That race is taking place Saturday, July the 11th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1. Now, Fox Sports 1 does cover them all year long. So uh, we'll talk more about this on um, Uh, Next Thursday night But uh, just to kind of give some updates From uh, last uh, Race And what's going on with them Uh, One thing you can remember Is Tyler Ankrum won That race At Kentucky Speedway last year So he will be the defending winner
1: That's right Other things to look forward to At Kentucky Speedway It's the 23rd NASCAR Gander RV And Outdoors Truck Series at the track the 1.5-mile outside Spartica, Kentucky, has 17 degrees of banking in the corners in turns 1 and 2, and 14 in 3 and 4, with 8 degrees on the front stretch and 4 degrees on the back stretch. The front stretch, 1,662 feet, while the back stretch is 62 short feet of that at a 1,600 flat. And Noah Gregson holds the qualifying record, from July of 2018 at 183.955 miles. Ben Rhodes holds the race record, also from that July 2018 race, at 146.739 miles per hour. Uh, Ron Hornaday Jr. has the most wins at Kentucky with three, Austin Dillon the most poles with two, and Matt Crafton has the most top fives at six, and top tens as well with 15. Most lead changes at the track was in 2011 with 18, and the fewest was in 2013 with five. I believe that was after the repave. Uh, only mm-hmm. three of the 22 races have been won from the pole, and Kyle Busch has the most wins as a truck owner with four. And the last uh, stat to give here, the closest margin of victory in a truck race at Kentucky was in 2009 at .0135, second the greatest margin of victory was in 2020 at 18.197 that's quite a gap
0: yes it is okay now just to give a sunoco rookie standings update christian eckes still holds the nascar gander rv and outdoor truck series sunoco rookie of the year standings with 179 points after pocono raceway zane smith holds on to second in the rookie standings at 177 points, followed by Derek Krauss at 159, Tanner Gray with 142, Raphael Lessard with 119, Ty Majeski with 114, Spencer Davis with 86, and Tate Fogelman with 70. Now every rookie except for Davis is making their Kentucky Speedway debut in the Gander Trucks next week. So Davis ran at Kentucky last season and he finished eighth in that race. He's the only driver that has raced that track before in the rookie group.
1: All right, and we'll give you a quick peek at the playoff situation here with six RV and the Gander Outdoor Truck Series races in the books. Playoff pictures coming into focus. Grant Enfinger's two wins so far this season has him atop of the standings outlook as he's the only driver locked in on wins. That leaves nine spots still up for grabs on points. Among those nine vying for a playoff spot, series driver standing leader and Hattori Racing Enterprises driver Austin Hill has the most comfortable points cushion heading into the weekend break with 94 points up on that postseason cutoff. Right behind Hill is Ben Rhodes with Thor Sport Racing, 43 points to the good following Pocono, and Rhodes' uh, Rhodes Pocono performance put him up a spot in those standings. Now, Sheldon Creed made the biggest jump going from ninth in the outlook to fourth with his two stage wins and third-place finish at Pocono. Christian Eckes is still the highest-ranked rookie in the playoff outlook right now in sixth, but fellow rookie Zane Smith, two points behind him, in seventh. Then down the playoff bubble, hot seat sits veteran and former series champion Johnny Sauter, who is 10th in that driver's standings, just nine points ahead of the 11th placed Derek Krause. Reigning RV and outdoor champion Matt Crafton is sitting all the way down in 14th in the standings, 31 points behind Sauter in 10th. I'm going to take a quick peek at the chart there. Uh, the only one, they did, two we didn't talk about in between there, Tyler Ankrum is at 174 points and Brett Moffitt at 170. So they're sitting about 12, 11 to 15 points ahead of that cutoff spot where Derek Krause and Johnny Sauter are. And then at, the other one to mention, I would say, is Stuart Friesen. He's been a contender for the championship. He's in 12th at 148, so he is 20 points behind Johnny Sauter
0: okay, uh next we're going to look at um Brandon Jones. He won in the gander outdoor r v and outdoor truck series last week. um I keep scrolling away from me. I apologize okay, uh, and actually, it was his first truck series win. Last week, uh, he does not run full- time in the truck series anymore, uh, but he has uh, still continued to chase after that first one in the series. And last week at Pocono, uh, he piloting that number 51 for Cowbush Motorsports, uh, he was able to take the Toyota to Victory Lane for the first time in his, in his career. It was his 46th series start. Now, uh, Jones held off Sheldon Creed. God, that race was so good uh, to watch in that two-lap battle on Sunday morning after the race originally scheduled for Saturday was postponed because of rain. Now, the Gander Trucks kicked off a triple-header day at Pocono that saw the NASCAR Xfinity Series and the Cup Series take to the track after the Gander Truck Series. That's the first time it's ever happened. Now, the racing did not lack for excitement with eight different lead changes between five drivers. Austin Hill finished second. Uh, Creed, who won stage one and stage two, was the third-place finisher. Todd Gilliland finished fourth. And Ben Rhodes rounds out the top five. Grant Infinger is still the only full-time truck series driver to have won a race this season. Every other win was by a driver that won full-time. In another series So because of that Hill is still holding on to the lead In the series point standings He's now 51 points better Than Rhodes who sits in second Now the Gander trucks have this weekend off Because the NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series are heading to Indianapolis Motor Speedway And the break will allow the teams To get ready for Kentucky Speedway uh, For that buckle up your truck 225 on Saturday July the 11th so um, uh, a lot to look forward there to with the uh, truck series at Kentucky next weekend. Now, Jay, do you have the uh, truck series points for our fan for Racing race group?
1: For the uh, trucks, yeah, I can run down the phone uh, now that we've got a little more time. And I was just looking at what I had for notes for schedule or do I have that backwards? Weren't the trucks supposed to run their doubleheader? I know they had one coming up.
0: Is that Xfinity? At Kentucky? Yeah. Uh, so let me look here real quick. I've got quick. it on my okay. calendar. Uh, let's see, uh-huh. Xfinity Series. Then we've got. It looks like there's two Xfinity Series races, and only one okay, truck so X- raced.
1: Okay, so it's the Xfinity that's doing the doubleheader. I had the wrong series.
0: Right, which, by the way, they're racing on Thursday next week, which means that we'll probably have to do our preview show. Oh, and I can't do it on Wednesday night.
1: Yeah, I'm not available on Wednesday either. We'll have to talk about that and figure something out.
0: Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. We might have to do it during the day on Thursday um, but, yeah, we'll talk about that and keep everybody posted. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a little bit tricky.
1: <laughs> All right. For the uh, for the fantasy points, uh, as I mentioned, Owen has the truck series points at 23 over Andy at 21. Sharon's at third and at 17. Then you got Sam and James tied at 15, who both had good weekends. I did not. I'm at 14. And then Mike is at 10 and that one there's a 13 point only gap between top and bottom and there's what 7 points available per race so that's only two race separations
0: wow wow okay now we do have a couple of um we do have a couple of uh interviews here pre-race interviews that we can look at uh and I'm thinking of for the um I guess the only the only uh, Xfinity Series driver that I have audio for for pre-race is Justin Algauer. It runs about eleven, almost twelve minutes. I don't, and yeah, we've got time to run that whole interview, right?
1: Uh, and, well, we got eight minutes because we're, we're going in twenty-minute segments. We got eight minutes.
0: Oh, that's right. We got okay. So let me run about five minutes of it then. Uh, It might be a little bit more It might be a little bit less Wherever the cutoff is But I do have Justin Algauer here uh, Heading into this Xfinity Series preview He drives the number 7 For Junior Motorsports Chevrolet And uh, we'll listen to his Pre-race comments uh, Before heading to Indianapolis And racing on that road course Win the Xfinity Series So take a listen
4: Good morning. Can you hear us?
3: I can now. Good morning.
4: Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, Obviously an exciting weekend ahead um, for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Headed back to Indy, but the first time on the road course. So um, obviously Indy Special, and to you, you've won on the Oval, but what would it mean to have the opportunity to win the inaugural um, road course race for the series? Well, I
3: think when you look at that, any races period, uh, to win the first one, right, of, of any event is, is always a big deal. I think that's always super important. I think a lot of the drivers, a lot of the teams really put a lot of pressure on themselves <clears throat> to be able to do that. Uh, but Indianapolis is, is Indianapolis, and it, and it has a different um, atmosphere around it. Um, you know, the racetrack has so much history and so much uh, standing in, in really world racing history that uh, to, to be able to go there, win the first one, win the inaugural race, I know it would be super special. You know, it, it's going to be very different. You know, I think we've all kind of gotten accustomed to what racing on the Oval looks like, especially, um, you know, the Cupside's been doing it obviously a lot longer than the Xfinity Series, but even now the Xfinity Series has kind of gotten into a rhythm, and, and so to change that up, it's going to be unique, uh, especially with the format, you know, IndyCar is there as well. Uh, it makes it makes for a, a lot of challenges that, we wouldn't normally find on, a, on a, a typical race like that. So I think that uh, you know we're all we're all gunning for it. We're all excited about it. Looking forward to having fun. All
4: right. We're going to start with questions for Justin. Just a friendly reminder: you may use the uh, raise your hand option within the Zoom platform, or send us a message as well on chat, and we'll monitor that during um, the availability. So we're going to start with Justin Albino. Justin, go ahead with your question.
2: Yeah, Justin, I'm curious, how would you gauge the 2020 season so far, given you've won a bunch of stages um, but might not have the results to show for?
3: Uh, I said it trying to think what race it was. <coughs> Excuse me. I said it after one of the races that, uh, I, you know, doing my interview at the Care Center that uh, I think I'm the same as everybody else. I'm ready for 21 to or 2020 to figure out what it's going to do or, or just be over. Um you know, for us, we've had really fast race cars. You know, everybody at Junior Motorsports has done an incredible job. I, I look at not just 17, but I look at all four of our cars at Junior Motorsports. We've we've excelled tremendously versus what I feel like we've had speed-wise in the last couple of years. Um, the cars have been fun to drive. The team's obviously done a great job, and and I do feel like that this format of no practice, no qualifying helps us a little bit it it, it, we've always kind of been good in in that regard but you know to win the stages that we've won to lead the amount of laps that we've led and to really have nothing to show for it um is is pretty disappointing i mean i i I, I want to win as bad as anybody um but you know on the other hand i i'm very blessed to do what i love to do and 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 i don't ever take that for granted so you know there's no win or no finish that's ever guaranteed in in this sport and, and uh I know that, but at the same time, it's still so disappointing. And you know, we we've obviously still got our work cut out for us. There's a lot of races left to go. We're going through a stretch right now of these summer months where I feel like fit my driving style really well, fit our team really well. So, you know, if we can if we can get some momentum back on our side, um, put ourselves in a good position, I I'd, I'd love to think that uh, there's an opportunity to go win some races before the year's over. Thanks, Justin.
4: Okay, we're going to take our next question from Claire B. Lane. Claire, go ahead.
0: Thank you. Can you talk about can you talk about what makes Indy tough and what you think that we will see as far as uh, challenge level, the level of challenge at Indianapolis this weekend for you guys and what
3: you envision? Yeah, so, you know, I've, I've kind of gone back and studied some of the, the past races there with the IndyCars. cars. Um, obviously, IMSA was there a, a number of years ago. We did kind of that doubleheader weekend. Uh, with IMSA as well. You know, it seems as though the biggest thing that I see from from my standpoint and watching the onboard footage from from Matt D's D's lap that he made at Indianapolis, the biggest thing that I see is that it's really flat. You know, typically for us, um, you know, even Charlotte on the Roval has some elevation change when you get to, uh, I guess that would be turn five, six, seven, somewhere in that range. There's some elevation change. You really are – Feeling like you can see the apex of the corners on a lot of these on a lot of these road courses that we go to, and when I looked at the video, I realized that it's it's pretty much perfectly flat. I mean, with the exception of maybe getting onto uh, in between NASCAR one and two, um, and then coming around and, and getting back onto the front straightaway, there's there's relatively uh, no banking. There's no there's no visual cues really to go off of. So I think that that's going to be the biggest challenge. Um, you know, I don't know, and we've not really seen until we get there, what they're going to do as far as, you know, some of the other road course options that they have. I know they tested, I think, three or four different options with Matt D when they were there. So we don't know if they're going to barricade those off, if there's going to be the turtles, if there's going to be signs, you know, all of that stuff makes a big difference from a, from a visual aspect of a driver. You know, where to turn in, what references are you going to use? Um, and then you kind of add that to, I think we get two 15-minute practice sessions so you know, not a lot of time, and, and, and you're talking about you know turn one and and getting into turn uh, seven, I believe, are going to be extremely fast. Uh, you know, we saw the speeds on those on those sections are going to be extremely fast. You, you high, high high speed, heavy braking zones. So I think it's going to be really important to um, do a good job of, of those 50 minutes of really learning the racetrack, learning what you're up against, and and you know, trying to do that quickly. And, and, and you got to hope that your car is set up well um, because, by the way, it looks pretty slick when the Indy cars run there. Uh, there's there's sometimes some crashes that you think, oh, well, that guy's, you know, not got any issues. He's, 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 his car's handling good, and then all of a sudden he's spent out, you know. and, and
0: Okay, I'm going to cut it off there because we're going to run out of time. Um he gave some really good information, though, to look at it from the driver's perspective of what they're dealing with you know, racing on that road course for the first time, as well as what's happening within his own race team.
1: Yeah, certainly going to be interesting. Some of the things he talked about there that, that fans don't truly understand what goes into making a road course like that with the uh, the turtles, the blockades, different ways they approach that. And we saw that at the Roval. They actually made some adjustments to it during the race but uh, the one thing I took there is it's an inaugural event that's important it's indie, that's important there's a lot of pressure on these guys knowing what's at, what's at stake this weekend
0: yes indeed okay now the Pennzoil 150 at the Brickyard will be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course this Saturday July the 4th at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. NBC will have the pre-race coverage starting at 2 p.m., and uh, you'll be able to listen on the radio at Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio, as well as Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Uh, they will be racing a distance of 151.22 miles, over 62 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 20. Stage 2, also 20 laps, will end on lap 40 and the last stage will end on the last lap lap 62 there is no previous winner so uh we're guaranteed a first time winner this weekend at the indianapolis motor speedway road course
1: and one thing we want to look at after this past weekend at pocono is the dash for cash wrap up uh, last weekend's race at Pocono Raceway for the Xfinity Series marks the finale of the 2020 Dash for Cash program. To recap, four drivers each week competed against one another within the race for hundred to win $100,000. The four drivers selected based on their previous performance the week before. The program opened with qualifying race on June 1st at Bristol Motor Speedway, and then the first race competing for money was on June 6th at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Noah Gregson in the number nine Junior Motorsport Chevrolet took home the victory, as well as that $100,000. The following week at Homestead, Miami, it was won by A.J. Allmendinger for colleg Racing. Now, Colleague Racing continued to dominate the Dash for Cash program with Ross Chastain winning the prize money at Talladega and then doing it again at last weekend's Pocono installment or to close out the installment. Now, in addition to paying the drivers, Xfinity made the donations in each of the Dash for Cash race markets in order to reaffirm its company-wide commitment of connecting families, veterans, and seniors to the digital tools necessary for navigating these challenging times we're facing. Last weekend at Pocono, Xfinity made the donation to the Boys and Girls Club of Pennsylvania. And I take away from that there is College Racing uh, shined at the right time, put some extra money in their pocket for sure.
0: Yes, indeed. Okay, now at Pocono, I guess we're looking back here, uh, there's been some small team success. And, in fact, if you look at that top 15, there were a lot of unfamiliar faces uh, in the top 15 last week. Smaller teams like Jeremy Clements Racing, Our Motorsports, and JD Motorsports all had drivers finishing in the top 10. Now, due to the craziness of the Xfinity race at Pocono, drivers who tend to run in the top 20 had a chance to run up closer to the front and gain a lot of momentum. Again, Jeremy Clements finished third, marking only his fourth top five finish in his 10-year career as an owner and driver for his own team. So that was a really big deal. And then Jesse Little, finished 10th for JD Motorsports, marking his career best finish. Uh, JDM is in their 23rd Xfinity Series season, and Little's finish was the first top ten finish for the team so far this year. So JD Motorsports overall has 42 career top tens and six top fives. So uh, Pocono is certainly an opportunity for some of the smaller teams to shine.
1: Well, and, and the one above that, and I don't know if it was blurred into the, uh, the one above yet, Brett Moffitt uh, finished seventh for our motorsports. And that was the team's first, mm-hmm. this is the team's first season in the Xfinity Series and marked their first top five and third top ten of the season. All those finishes came with Moffitt behind the wheel. And I know they're looking at maybe expanding that uh, program, I believe. Yes, we'll have to
0: see what happens there.
1: Now, as we look at the Xfinity Series points update, Chevrolet is currently dominating the Xfinity Series points as far as manufacturer with six drivers in the top 10, while Ford only has two in the series, but they're both in the top 10 as well. A Toyota has two in the top 10. Harrison Burton as the only rookie. Give you a rundown there. It's currently Chase Briscoe at the top at 499. Three points back is a Chevrolet of Noah Gregston, Ross Jastain in a Chevy is 33 back. Austin Sindrick in the, one of the Fords is 46 back. Harrison Burton we talked about as a rookie, 95 back in the Toyota. And then you have Justin Allga- or I'm sorry, Justin Haley, in a Chevrolet at minus 98. Justin Alguire also in a Chevy at minus 113. And we talked about him from the trucks, but Brandon Jones regular series ride in the Xfinity, a Toyota. At 376, is 123 back. Michael Annette at minus 160 in a Chevrolet, as well as Ryan Sieg, we talked about a little bit earlier, um, at 301 is 198 back.
0: Okay. Now, next we're going to take a look at, um, do you want to do the bubble drivers?
1: All right. Um uh, With Chase Briscoe looking at the playoff outlook overall, Chase Briscoe's win last weekend at Pocono kept him again atop the playoff standings with his fourth win of the season. He now has seven more playoff points for a total of 22. Uh, I'm sorry, he has seven more playoff points at 22 than his nearest competitor. Ross Chastain jumped up a spot in the standings, taking six from Austin Sindrick after his second place finish at Pocono and currently the highest driver without a win yet this season. Mentioned Harrison Burton still sitting in third spot in the playoff standings as the highest-ranked rookie. Riley Herbst, another Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender as well for Joe Gibbs Racing, currently sitting in 11th. And Myatt Schneider is claiming the final playoff spot in 12, just four points up on Brandon Brown in 13th. Schneider's fourth-place finish at Pocono moved him ahead of Brandon Brown, who was in that position last weekend. A Junior Motorsports Noah Gregson currently has the best driver rating in the Xfinity Series at 112.1, with Briscoe right behind him in second at 106.6. As I take a look at the chart, I believe all the drivers there got covered. Again, that cutoff line of 12, Myatt Snyder at 258, Brandon Brown at 254, four points separating them. Then you go back as far as Alex LeBay, who is 36 out, and Josh Williams at minus 45, the next two that would be in contention, barring anybody win uh, getting a win and moving up.
0: Okay. Now, I suspect that Austin Sindrick has had this Indianapolis road course marked on his calendar as soon as he found out they were doing it. Uh, he's still in the hunt for his first win this Season in the Xfinity Series, and what better place uh, for him to accomplish that goal than at Indianapolis the Motor Speedway's road course. Uh, for Cindric, a win at Indy would mean a lot. Not only would it be his first win this season, but it would also lock him into the 2020 playoffs. Plus, he would become the first-ever winner in the Xfinity Series at Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course. To top it off, he'd get the win for his team, Owner Roger Pinski, who is the newest owner of the Speedway as well. So, both Cindric's career wins in the Xfinity Series came last year and they were at road courses. The first was at Watkins Glen International, and the second was at Mid Ohio Sports Car Course. The driver of the number 22 team, Pinsky Ford, has six top fives and eight top tens so far this season. He has an average finish of 7.8, which is impressive. Uh, I'm sorry, an average start of 7.8, and an average finish of 11.3. He's led 249 laps, and last week in Pocono did not go as planned for Cindric in his number 22 team, as he finished 29th after being involved in a wreck on lap 52. Right now, he's sitting fourth in the points, as we just discussed. He The second-highest-ranked driver without a win, and he has run up front, leading the third-most percentage of laps this season at 12.24%. Sitting behind a pair of junior motorsports teammates, Justin Algauer and Noah Gregson. Now, this weekend's Pennzoil 150 at the Brickyard will be the first start for every driver at this newly added track to their schedule, so that's going to make it very, very interesting to see what happens. He's so good on the road courses, it's hard to discount him out.
1: Well, and like you mentioned there, a couple of things. There's so many reasons he might have that little bit of extra pressure. And Race Reyes, it being the Brickyard uh, facility, as well as now for team owner Roger Penske. So he might have a little bit added uh, incentive, if you will.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. I
1: know... Uh, I know Sharon mentioned this earlier. I'm going to hit it on it again, though. NASCAR Xfinity Series practice will be available on NBC Sports app and track pass on NBC Gold. They will have its first, its first two practices this weekend since March 6 at Phoenix Raceway. Fans can watch both the first and final practices. First practice will be 1.30 to 2.25 p.m. Eastern time. Final practice, 3 to 3.55 Eastern time on the NBC Sports app and Track Pass on NBC Sports Gold. The occasion marks the first time Track Packs will feature national series action. A track Pass is scheduled to air on all NASCAR Series Cups Series and Xfinity Series practice and qualifying sessions during the NBC portion of the schedule, which I know is a little bit um, mobulated, if you will, due to the uh, COVID and the reshuffling of races.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, But that's pretty exciting with them racing the first time on the road course. I think it's really good that they are giving them uh, some practice time in the Xfinity Series, and uh, I'm sure these guys are going to make good use of that practice time. Okay, now the Xfinity Series goes road racing at Indianapolis. Uh, They're going to tackle that road course for the first time in the series history this weekend in the Penske 150 at the Brickyard this Saturday, July the 4th at 3 p.m. Eastern at NBC. Um, IMS Radio and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, the inaugural road course event for the Xfinity Series is part of the NASCAR IndyCar Double Header that will also feature, feature the IndyCar GMR Grand Prix. That's an event that was delayed from its originally scheduled date in May by the COVID 19 pandemic and is scheduled for 12 p.m. on Saturday. So, if you're interested in seeing a double header, you want to tune in for the IndyCars at 12 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Now, Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course will provide a whole new set of challenges for drivers and teams as the series will hit the 2.439 mile. 14-turn road course for the very first time this weekend. Also for the first time since the uh, break from the COVID-19 pandemic, the Xfinity Series will be allowed to practice prior to the race. They'll get the two practice sessions in that Jay just told you about. And then Saturday's race is a 62-lap, 151.22-miles race with the first two stages being 20 laps each in the final stage is 22 laps. Now, last weekend, the Xfinity Series took on Pocono Raceway, also known as the Tricky Triangle, when Chase Briscoe was victorious for the fourth time this season after overcoming a late race tire incident. Collar Racing's Ross Chastain came up short, but he did get to take home the $100,000 bonus for the second week in a row for the Dash for Cash installment, uh, uh, the final Dash for Cash installment this year. Now, Myatt Snyder is also the highest finishing rookie at Pocono. He finished in fourth. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out. Uh, Do you have the points for the – have you already given us the points for the Xfinity Series, Jay?
1: Yeah, I kind of quickly ran through them, but I know we got a little bit more time. I can go all the way through them. I think I hit just the highlights of the top, um, which in the Xfinity series uh, is Andy at 51. That one's got a little bit of a bigger gap. I'm at second at 38. Sharon, you're at 35. Uh, Sam at 29. Owen at 25. Mike at 24. And James at 23. So with the exception of Andy uh, putting a whooping on us on that one, the rest of us are all pretty tight.
0: Okay, yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. And it's cool that they are doing that doubleheader with the IndyCar uh, race happening just prior to the Xfinity Series race. Uh, We oftentimes don't get a chance to watch the IndyCar, and uh, this is a good example and a a great opportunity for NASCAR fans uh, to check that out this weekend. Okay, now, Jay, I do have... Uh, Kevin Harvick and I have Kurt Busch. Uh, so, which driver would you like to hear from as we head into our uh, Cup Series preview?
1: Oh, I'd have to say we'll go. Let's go with Kurt Busch. I know we hear a lot from Harvick; he's been winning. So, let's go with Kurt Busch.
0: Okay, Kurt Busch in the number one Chip Ganassi Racing Chevrolet. Let's hear what he has to say.
2: Hello. Hello. How are you?
4: Good, how are you? Well, hello. you have yeah. me? We have you. Okay, awesome. great. Thank you. Not only do we have you, we have you in front of a very <laughs> um, sponsor-approved backdrop, too. Yeah, I try, I try to do my part. <laughs> good deal. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. I know you joined us just a couple weeks ago, but with the exciting, um, kind of milestone start you had this week. We wanted to um, have you join us again and just talk a little bit about Indy will be your 700th NASCAR Cup Series start. And my question for you to, to kick us off is just did you imagine when you started this career that you would have 700 start?
1: Um, it, it's amazing, you know, the, to have this opportunity and to have been blessed to race with so many
2: great race teams over the years that, I mean, just making it, you know, past the, the local track was, was something that I thought was an achievement because my
1: dad was a local racer. He won a lot, uh, but it was like money sponsors and, and the whole challenge of even getting to like the, the Southwest tour, you know, a late model division. Uh, that, that was even tough for us way back in the past. So it's amazing. 20 years, uh, of racing at the top series level, and now having 700 starts, uh, never would have
0: guessed. Okay. That uh, was Kurt Busch and about his uh, 20 years of racing with NASCAR. I remember him as a Bryce Young guy coming into this sport.
1: <laughs> I do as well, coming in with uh, Roush Fenway through the, uh, through the truck series and then into that number... Uh, 97 there uh, at the cup level
0: yes indeed Uh, so uh, it's going to be interesting to you know he's obviously matured over the years he's turned into a a really great race car driver and uh, he's going to be racing at Indianapolis Motor Speedway this weekend Uh, for the Big Machine Hand Sanitizer 400 powered by Big Machine Records at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Now, they're racing the regular oval or rectangle, as it's known, at Indianapolis. Uh, They're racing Sunday, July the 5th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. NBC will have the pre-race coverage starting at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, the radio coverage will be on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio, as well as the Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 400 miles over 160 laps. Stage 1 will end on lap 50, stage 2 on lap 100, and the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 160. Last year's race winner At this event was none other than Kevin Harvick.
1: And I know it's been a while since we've got to do this, and I like the fact that they have brought it back. We'll see if that continues. But we got a crew chief spotlight, and that's Indiana's Chris Gabhart readying for Indianapolis. Right now, it's Joe Gibbs Racing's most successful duo this season, his driver, Denny Hamlin, along with crew chief Chris Gabhart, as they lead the NASCAR Cup Series in wins this year with four victories through the first 15 races. But who is the man calling the shots for him atop the pit box? It's Chris Gabart, and he hails from Lafayette, Indiana, currently working his second full-time NASCAR Cup Series season, but began his crew chief career back in the Xfinity Series in 2016, at that time for Joe Gibbs Racing and driver Eric Jones prior to becoming the crew chief, Gabehart attended Purdue University, getting his degree in mechanical engineering, but he was also a part-time driver, winning the 2004 Sunoco Super Series Rookie of the Year honors in late models during his 5th year of mechanical engineering at Purdue. Following college, Gabehart jumped into NASCAR, serving as a race engineer for Denny Hamlin after working several seasons for Kyle Busch Motorsports. The opportunities proved to be fortuitous as he was working his way up in the Joe Gibbs racing organization when he was named crew chief for Eric Jones in the Xfinity series in that 16th season. Then after a few years in that series with the drivers, Eric Jones, Christopher Bell, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Benjamin, James Davison, Ryan priest, Daniel Suarez, and Brandon Jones. He made the leap to cup and hasn't looked back over the past two seasons. And two seasons in the NASCAR Cup Series of 2019 and 2020 so far this year. Hamlin and Gabert have put up 10 wins and they have made the championship four, but despite the onslaught onsla- of success, this weekend's race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway would be extra special for that Indiana native to win. Hamlin and Gabert finished sixth at Indianapolis last season, so they're looking to improve a little bit on that.
0: Yes, indeed. Now, there's some uh, former Indianapolis winners who don't have a win yet in 2020. So three former NASCAR Cup Series winners at Indianapolis Motor Speedway come into this weekend still looking for their first victory this year. Four-time Indianapolis winner Jimmy Johnson, two-time Indianapolis winner Kyle Busch, and Ryan Newman with his single Brickyard win. Now, Johnson leads the former Indianapolis Victors with four wins. He won in uh, 2006, 8, 9, and 12, but he also has the second longest win streak of the group, as the Hendrick Motorsports driver hasn't visited Victory Lane, and this is so hard to believe. Since 2017, that's 110 races ago johnson can change all that this weekend though he's made 18 starts at the brickyard posting four wins six top fives and seven top tens his average finish at indianapolis is 16.5 now joe gibbs racing's kyle bush right now is ranked 11th in the series driver standings after that doubleheader at Pocono. But the two-time series champion is still looking for his first win this season. So Bush has won in every full-time cup season that he's competed in, dating back to 2005. And he hasn't posted less than four wins in a season since 2015. But this year, Bush heads into Indianapolis this Sunday, looking to snap his winless streak, That dates back to the 2019 season finale at Homestead Miami, 15 races ago. Now, this season, Bush has posted seven top fives, eight top tens, including three runner up finishes. Bush has made 15 starts at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He's got two wins there in 2015 and 16. He's got five top fives, 11 top tens, and in 2016. Kyle Bush became the first driver in history to sweep both the Xfinity Series race from the pole and the NASCAR Cup Series race from the pole in the same weekend at Indianapolis. Of the three drivers trying to break their winless streak this weekend, Rosh Fenway Racing's Ryan Newman has been waiting the longest. The Indiana native from South Bend, Indiana, Uh, Last won the NASCAR Cup Series race at Phoenix Raceway in 2017 When he was driving for Richard Childress Racing That was 119 races ago Due to his injury from the beginning of this season He has competed in 113 of them But this weekend he looks to get back to his winning ways And not only snap his winless streak But also that of Roush Fenway Racing that dates back to Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s last victory at Daytona 106 races ago. Now, Newman's made 19 series starts at Indianapolis, where he has the one win in 2013. He has three top fives and six top tens. His average finish at Indianapolis is 16.0. So some interesting thoughts there about uh, three great drivers.
1: Well, and let me tell you, the way this season started and everything, uh, if you could pick a sentimental driver to win, it would be Ryan Newman in his home state, that's for sure.
0: That would be cool.
1: Now, Sharon talked about Jimmy Johnson's uh, winless streak, uh, being that this is his last full-time year in the Cup Series. It's his last chance to tie Gordon. Oh, did I jump one? No, because you covered the former winners.
0: Oh, okay. I got ahead of myself. Okay, go ahead. Okay. I apologize.
1: Um, <laughs> no problem. Uh, again, talking about Jimmy Johnson with his last chance to tie Gordon and wins at Indianapolis. And One team that has risen above the rest when it comes to winning in the Cup Series at Indianapolis Speedway, and that is Hendrick Motorsports. They have a series-leading 10 victory among three drivers. Jeff Gordon has five. Jimmy Johnson has four, and Casey Kane with one. Now, as the seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, Jimmy Johnson embarks on his final full-time season. This weekend will be his last shot. He has it tying his longtime friend and teammate, NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon, for the series most wins at Indianapolis Speedway with five. They came in. Gordon's wins came in '94, '98, 2001, 2004, and then again in 2005. 14. A Johnson and crew chief, Cliff Daniels, have started finding some success this season. 12th in the driver standings, 63 points up on the postseason cut line. In 15 starts in 2020, Johnson has amassed two top fives and six top tens. Heading into this historic weekend, Johnson's four Indy wins, coming in 2006, 8, 9, and 12, leads all active drivers. In total, the Californian has made 18 starts at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, posting those four wins, six top fives, and seven top tens. But he finished 35th in the event last season due to an incident. Now, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway NASCAR Cup Series race is considered one of NASCAR's crown jewel events. And Johnson is only one of four drivers in history who have won all four. Those include the Daytona 500 the Charlotte or Coca-Cola 600, the Brickyard 400, and the Southern 500. And that puts them on the list as Kevin Harvick, as well as NASCAR Hall of Famers Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt.
0: Okay. Uh, Next we're going to talk about the race to the playoffs. Uh, Reddick kind of stumbled while Jones jumps back onto the bubble. So after jumping up, to the final postseason transfer spot of 16th in the NASCAR Cup Series driver standings heading into Pocono last week. Richard Childress Racing's Tyler Reddick stumbled during the doubleheader weekend, leaving the door open for a hard-charging Eric Jones to take over that coveted spot. Now Joe Gibbs Racing driver Jones is back in the playoff contention and is 14 points up on Austin Dillon, the first driver below the cutoff. Now, Reddick dropped two spots to 18th. He's now 26 points back from Jones. With 15 races in the books, that leaves 11 to go in the regular season for drivers to sure up their spots for the playoffs. Now, eight drivers have locked themselves into the postseason on wins, leaving eight spots still up for grabs in this series. Now you can expect the playoff bubble to continue to shuffle drivers following this weekend, as competitors listed in the driver standings from 13th to 20th, and I'll go over that in a minute, have vastly different average finishes at Indianapolis. Uh, well, 13 through 16, Chris Clint Boyer, he has uh, average finish there of 18.5. Matt De Benedetto in 14th. 26.8 William Byron's average finish is 11.5 He's in 15th And Eric Jones holding that 16th spot Has an average finish of 24th uh, Moving down The list Austin Dillon uh, He has average finish at Indianapolis of 17.9 Tyler Reddick is making His series debut at the Track this weekend Rookie Stenhouse Jr.'s average finish uh he's in 19th place is 28th and Chris Busher, in the 20th spot has a 15.8 average finish so there you have it the top the guys on top of that line are Clint Boyer Matt DiBenedetto William Byron and Eric Jones the guys on the outside looking in are Austin Dillon Tyler Reddick Ricky Stenhouse Jr and Chris Busher. and uh it's going, to be, it's going to be interesting. Fourteen points separate uh, Eric Jones and Austin Dillon, so that's, that's amazing.
1: Certainly going to be a tight battle there. And as we look to Indianapolis, yes. though, we're looking at a short list of drivers to go back-to-back wins at Indianapolis. We've seen multiple drivers with multiple wins, but only two drivers have been able to go back-to-back at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. One of them we talked about, Jimmy Johnson, in 2008 and 9, and then Kyle Busch in 2015 and 16. But this weekend, Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick will look to put a third name on that list and defend his 2019 Cup of Victory there. Year in and year out, Kevin Harvick continues to be a force to be reckoned, within, reckoned with within the Cup Series. The 2020 season is no different. Harvick sits atop of the Series driver standings 52 points up on second-place Ryan Blaney following this doubleheader last weekend at Pocono Raceway. Harvick snatched the top spot in the points following the race at Phoenix back on March 8th and has not relinquished it since. In 15 starts on the year, he's collected three wins, coming at Darlington, Atlanta, and Pocono, with eight top fives and 12 top tens, which is the series' most. Historically, Indianapolis has been a great track for Harvick, In 19 starts there, he's put up three poles, two wins so far in 2003 and 19, seven top fives, and 13 top tens, with an average finish at a stout 8.9, which, again, is the series best.
0: Yeah, but there's one driver to beat, and that's Denny Hamlin, who keeps adding up victories. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin leads, the Cup Series in wins this season. He now has four victories in 15 races. His winning percentage this year is 26.7. Now the Chesterfield Virginia native is on pace to tie or better his career best season, which was in 2010, where he started the year off with five wins in 15 races and finished as season runner-up in the series point standings and a career high in wins of eight. Now, in 2020, Hamlin has four wins, including his third career, Daytona 500, Darlington, and Homestead, as well as Pocono. He has nine top fives, the series most. He has 10 top tens, and he also spent the third most time out front leading laps this season, with 436 laps led, or 10.8% of the total. Of NASCAR's four crown jewel events on the Cup Series schedule, Daytona 500, the Coca-Cola 600, the Southern 500, and the Brickyard 400. Hamlin has conquered two of them. He won at Daytona and Darlington. But this weekend, he could get his third crown jewel. Hamlin has made 14 starts at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, posting five top fives and eight top tens, including three third-place finishes. He finished sixth in this race just last year.
1: All right, NASCAR's going to NASCAR Salutes, refreshed by Coca-Cola, six Coca-Cola, kicks off at IMS this weekend, starting with this weekend's Indianapolis Motor Speedway and running through July 31st. The NASCAR industry will honor United States Armed Forces and frontline healthcare heroes as part of this year's expanded NASCAR Salutes, refreshed by Coca-Cola an industry-wide opportunity to recognize and thank those who have gone above and beyond to keep society safe and healthy. For the first time ever, NASCAR Salutes Refreshed by Coca-Cola will kick off with the Big Machine Hand Sanitizer 400 at the Brickyard this Sunday, and as the platform shifts to a midsummer window due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. As part of the Evolve Campaign for 2020, NASCAR and Coca-Cola will create content opportunities to celebrate heroic work from our military and first responder community during this COVID-19 pandemic. In partnership with NBC, NASCAR and Coca-Cola will celebrate heroes in the military and medical community and NASCAR and Coca-Cola's dedicated actions to support our community. Through the NASCAR digital and social channels, the industry will spotlight even more stories with a new NASCAR Salutes Refreshing Moment feature that will be hosted on, uh, on nascar.com slash salutes. While the NASCAR Salutes Refreshed by Coca-Cola shifted due to the COVID-19, the industry continued its tradition honoring fallen service members during the annual Memorial Day weekend 600 miles of remembrance at the Coca-Cola 600. All 40 NASCAR Cup Series cars featured the name of a fallen service member on the windshield during the race in honor of those who made the ultimate sacrifice.
0: Okay, and now we're talking about Independence Day weekend at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, For the first time in NASCAR Cup Series history, the series will compete at Indianapolis Motor Speedway on Independence Day weekend. Uh, now, they're racing Sunday, July the 5th again at 4 p.m. Eastern on NBC. Now, this weekend's race will be 400 miles, 160 laps, broken into three stages. The first two stages are 50 laps each, and the final stage will be 60. Now, this weekend is marking the 27th running of the NASCAR Cup Series race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the very first Cup race at in Indianapolis took place on August the 6, 1994, when Rick Mass took the pole with a speed of 172.414 miles per hour. And NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon took home the checkered flag. Now, the 26 NASCAR Cup Series races at Indianapolis Motor Speedway have given us 19 different pole winners and 15 different race winners. Jeff Gordon and Kevin Harvick lead the series in polls at Indianapolis. They each have three. Gordon also leads the series in wins at the Brickyard. He has five victories there. That's kind of a home track for him as well. Uh, he won in 1994, 98, 2001, 2004, and 2014. Five former Indianapolis race winners are entered this weekend led by seven-time series champion Jimmy Johnson with his four wins. He's followed by Kevin Harvick, who has two in 2003 and 19, Kyle Bush we've mentioned before, 2015 and 16, Brad Keselowski won in 2018, and it was Ryan Newman winning in 2013. The pole position is the most proficient starting spot in the field, producing five winners. Now, the most recent driver to accomplish that feat was Kevin Harvick, who did it just last season. In 2016, Kyle Busch became the first driver in history to sweep both the Xfinity Series race from the pole as well as the Cup Series race also from the pole in the same weekend at Indianapolis. Now, the deepest in the field uh, uh, that a race winner has started at Indianapolis is 27th, and that of course was by Jeff Gordon, who did that in 2001. The deepest and active race winner has started is 16th, and that was Jimmy Johnson, who did one in 2007. I'm sorry, 2009. So that uh, is some interesting stats going into Indianapolis this weekend. <clears throat> it's going to C- be fun. Certainly, over something the, uh over the Labor Day, we, I'm sorry, over the Fourth of July weekend to have this race uh, right in the heart of the country.
1: That is. I know we talked about that back when that schedule announcement came out. This has always been a Daytona race, um, the change for that. and I know I'm one that kind of uh, was on one bad side of it, if you will, is the heat up there uh, mm-hmm. during July and August, um, having been there. But we'll see how it plays out. Hopefully it's not too bad. But I do I do like the fact of how they're embracing it and the things NASCAR is doing uh, with the Coca-Cola for the month of July.
0: Yes, I I would agree, um, and and we'll see how it plays out. Hopefully, it won't be too hot. Uh, I will say I, I I'm kind of in the Midwest here uh, as well and. The weather lately, well, it has been hot the last couple of days. I can't say that it isn't. We did have one cooler day, <laughs> but uh, we'll have to see what happens this weekend. Hopefully, it won't be quite so hot.
1: For the, And I know in this case, it's not, it's not just about the fans. I mean, that comes from a fan perspective, but uh, we've seen as – Coverage shows the in-car cams, and we've seen some c- certain issues with some drivers that have, that have had uh, exhaustion issues. You know, it's it's three times yes. as worse for them in those race cars.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, that is so true. We are now, uh, Jay, at the top of the hour. And what that means it is is that it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, Andy Lasky will be joining us here shortly He is our co-host And I know we have uh, quite a few hot topics to discuss uh, I was hoping Andy would be here so we could let him go first I know a lot of times uh Andy's just getting home from work uh, At the time that the show is starting So we'll give him a couple minutes to kind of get uh, unpacked And settled in for the radio show here Uh, but I'm going to take a moment to just thank you, Jay, for all that you do. Uh, I know you put in the extra effort to keep track of our uh, Fan for Racing Fantasy League, and uh, we've got quite a few players this year with seven people, so uh, that means that uh, that increases your workload in keeping track of all of that for us. We appreciate you.
1: Well, thank you again. I I do it because I do enjoy it. And we've had a lot of fun with that this year. I know we got a couple, Owen and uh, Mike both started late, a little behind in points, but they've been made up, you know, and we still just have have a lot of fun with it. Um, But I will say this, in in years past, it's been a little bit simpler. Uh, With the schedule change this year, the number of players we've had, the double headers, I know I've made a couple of mistakes and they've been picked up on, so... Uh, You know, again, it's it's such a great team we have here at Fan for Racing Blog and Radio, and and that's what makes it that that enjoyable that I'm willing to do so.
0: Yes, yes, it has been a really really great team here, and and uh, I've enjoyed everybody who's uh, been a member of our Fan for Racing crew this year. So um, we are growing in numbers. That's always a good thing. And uh, we just have to kind of keep our momentum going. Everybody's doing their thing, and uh, doing it well. So we appreciate everybody who participates here at Bamper Racing, in one way or another. Um, okay, let's go ahead and get started, Jay. Because I uh, I'm not sure when. Oh, there he is. Speaking of Andy, he is here now, and uh, we will welcome him into the show. Welcome to the show, Andy.
2: Well, thank you, Sharon.
0: Jay, how are you both doing tonight? Doing well.
1: Good, real good.
0: Okay, Andy, we we're kind of holding off for you here a little bit uh, so that you can be the first one to bring up the first hot topic tonight. It's just going to be the three yeah. of us. Yeah. Um,
2: well, you know, the first one I think is pretty cool. It's the Choose Cone that will be implemented for the All-Star Race. Um, which I think is going to do a lot in terms of the trickery that we've seen on pit road, trying to get a a specific position. So certainly wanted to get your, your, um, your take on that. I I thought that was a pretty cool change that we'll see for that. Okay.
1: Well, and I know Andy wasn't on the first show. We brought it up because it was just Sharon and I, um, And I feel fortunate It was one of those things that just worked out Got to go see it in action at Huntsville Speedway that following Weekend Uh, Not with a big group of cars though as They only had I believe 10 or 12 in the classes Where they were doing it but I I really am in favor of this And I I watched a race up I believe it was yesterday Andy Petrie Was actually kind of pressuring Steve O'Donnell if it goes good If they would implement it the rest of the year I, I do like the fact that O'Donnell said no you know that's not a change it's not a safety issue if it does go good and they are in favor of it they would look at it for 2021 not to implement something like that mid-season if it's not necessary so right. I like the fact that he's standing to his guns on that no matter how it goes it's not something they're going to implement starting for the second half of a season but as Andy Petrie noted the trickery there isn't going to be any trickery when guys come off pit road, they're counting cars and, and stomping on the brakes, trying to to figure out what lane they're going to be in. When it comes to the choose cone, you're back to you want to be one of the first guys off pit road. Because again, say the top five, if one through three take, and I'm just going to pick the bottom lane, that fourth guy is the one that he's going to get to go up to second by moving up to that outside lane. So there is no trickery or fooling about it and messing around you want to be as far up so you can be the first one to choose the lane you want to be in. So I think that's going to eliminate some of the, the buffoonery. I'll use the word buffoonery. Um, I know it's part of the strategy and they, what you know put, sets them up in the position they want to be in, but you're not going to be damaging, possibly damaging cars. when On pit road, when one stops, if you've got somebody that doesn't realize that you, you run that risk here, it's, they're going to be out on the track. When they hit this certain point, it may not be a physical cone, um, and if you, you haven't see, if you haven't seen it, normally it is a cone, and somebody's standing on the infield, and once they go by, they pull it in. We're not going to see that at the cup level. It's going to be a certain marking or point on the track, and you will just have to establish high lane or low lane. Um, but so there won't be any trickery. Whatever your turn comes up, you got to choose one or the other. You're not going to fake somebody out.
0: Okay. Uh, I guess the jury's still out for me because I've not really seen this play out uh, in a race, so I'm kind of anxious. I think NASCAR, NASCAR made a good choice in uh, choosing the all-star race to kind of test this out, if you will, and give drivers a chance to see how it works and and uh, to let it play out on the track. Um, it, it is going to be interesting to watch. I'm, I typically all four strategy plays. And I think that's kind of what this ends up being in a in a lot of respects. Because like you say, you want to be the first one off pit road to get that first chance to to uh maybe take that high lane uh if everybody's taking the low lane. Uh but again it depends on how that track is running. <laughs> uh you know, if, if the if the high lane's not running Uh, maybe we'll see people not taking the high lane at all. Uh, I doubt that, but it's going to be interesting to see how it does play out. Um, As I said, I've not seen it play uh, at any race before, so uh, this will be a first for me. So my jury is still out, Andy. How about yours?
2: (laughs) Well, to your point, Sharon, you know, I've never seen it in action either, but I – I feel like I understand the concept and I I think that it's going to be a really cool change. And I say that because I'm not a huge fan of the the counting cars and and the brake checking and all the stuff that we've seen on pit road, because to Jay's Mm -hmm. point, it can lead to damaged race cars and it can lead to, you know, to ruining someone's day. So I think that the choose cone, you know, takes all of the, um, all of the the trickery out of it, you know, and it puts it into the team's hands, and they can de- exactly. And I think that um, they can, the the teams can discuss amongst themselves which lane they think is going to uh, is going to work best, you know. And and I think that it actually creates a unique opportunity for someone further back to gain track position because the bottom lane is the preferred restart groove, and the first five cars opt to, 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 like what Jay already said, if the first five cars take the bottom lane, the sixth-place car could could jump up to the outside, restart second, and, and fall in line, possibly second, third, or, or maybe even fight for the lead, you know, on the restart. So there's definitely some strategy involved, you know, but definitely no games being played. It's really just a matter of determining which lane will be best, and, you know, certainly there will be drivers that can take advantage of you know their their position off pit road and possibly even gain spots by by taking the lane that's not necessarily preferred and move up their position in the running order. So I'm curious to see how it plays out. Like you said, you know, Sharon, I, I I've never seen it in place either because I typically only follow the top 3 national series in NASCAR but I'm really excited about the concept I think it's going to be a much needed change and you know I really want to pay close attention to the those all-star races because I I'm curious to see how it works and I'm I'm certainly curious to see what what the drivers have to think after the fact so um but I think it's a positive change I think that a lot of fans in the sport you know have been wanting to see NASCAR kind of Get back to a short track roots sense, if you will, and certainly the Choose cone stems from from short track racing, and it you know stems from kind of that grassroots racing. So you know I think this is just another small change that kind of brings us back a little bit, even though it's never been in NASCAR before, it kind of brings us back to you know some grassroots feel, which I think is a good thing. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a great change, and you know definitely excited for that All Star race.
0: Okay, Jay.
2: Well, one thing there that
1: I, that I heard is that, may, Andy, maybe you need to get out to more of your local tracks, you know, support the local tracks in your area. I don't know if any of the ones up there in the Northeast do use it. Um, like I said, it was coincidental that I went to Huntsville, and they do. Um, I had heard of it before, but I had never seen of it. I know a lot of the ones in the Carolinas uh, are who are known for it. Um, but one of the things, you talk about it being a strategy – I compare it to when you talk about whether or not to take tires, especially on what could possibly be a short run to a stage end or something and gaining that track position. If you take no tires or two tires, you know others are going to come with four and have that stronger run. It's a matter of how long can you hold on and maybe catch that next caution and then have that track position. So this is going to be no different. If you're sitting seventh or eighth and everybody's taking the bottom, you can move to the high side, get up to second, If the high lane isn't working, you know you're not going to outrun them there. But whether or not you can hold on and slide into third, fourth, or fifth, you've gained three positions just by choosing that lane. Then next time the cycle comes through, you get off pit road in the same spot, you're now further up the line. So that's what it comes down to when it comes to strategy. And I do like you guys have both mentioned, eliminating that on pit road where there can be so much external damage Mm -hmm. and, and races ruined um, because somebody, like you said, is break-checking and trying to get in a certain spot.
0: Yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, any follow-up, Andy? Uh, Andy, do you have your uh, mute? Oh, Andy dropped. We lost Andy. I don't I know. Say, okay, here he is. We
1: lost Andy. He's
0: back. Yeah. Okay, Andy, we Not, lost you there. Nothing there. Uh, you are back. Okay. Did you have any follow-up?
2: No, no follow-up. I think that I, I I just want to see this in action to get a really close look at it, but uh, it's overall just an exciting change that I think is going to be pretty good.
0: Okay. And I think so, too, but I think if anybody... If anybody's going to come up with some ideas on how they can make it work to their advantage, it's going to be the NASCAR Cup Series, guys. Uh, I, can't see. I, I can't wait to see how it plays out. And, and I, again, I'm glad they, they're doing it at the all-star race. Uh, anything for you, Jay? Uh, not as far as the
1: choose cone, but um, before we move on to any other topic, there is still one as far as the all-star. The whole format was announced. And the one thing mm-hmm. I took a look at that, and Sharon, if you have it as far as the segment breakdowns for the All-Star Open as well as mm-hmm. um, the main event, uh, if you guys want to take a look at that before I give my my take on it, or uh, what you thought of the format itself.
0: Okay, let me just kind of go over that uh, as I pull it up here real quick. Um, we do have it posted at com. Uh, And so the Bristol All-Star Format, uh, the race will have four stages, uh, lasting 55 laps, 35 laps, 35 laps, and 15 laps. Both green flag and yellow flag laps count in stages one to three, with only green flag laps counting in the last stage stage. Uh, In the final stage, if the race is restarted with two or fewer laps remaining, there will be an unlimited attempt at a green-white checkered flag finish under the green flag conditions. The NASCAR Open will take place before the All-Star Race. They include three segments at 35 laps, 35 laps, and 15 laps. The winner of each stage will earn a spot spot in the All-Star Race as well as the renter of the fan boat. The technical rules of the cars will remain the same as the other Cup Series short track races, uh, including the May 31st race at Bristol. The liveries will sport a new look, however, as the car number will move from the door toward the rear wheel in order to give more exposure to teams and sponsors. Now, the drivers that are eligible so far Include uh, This is for the all-star race, Ryan Blaney, Alex Bowman, Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, Justin Haley, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Jimmy Johnson, Eric Jones, Matt Kenseth, Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Ryan Newman, and Martin Truex, Jr. So there you have it. So uh, you want to start with Andy then and get his thoughts?
2: Yeah, this is, um, it's a cool format, but I I think what I take away most from this is there's going to be a big sense of urgency in this race. It's extremely short. Um, you know, even 55 laps at Bristol, you know, 55 laps might seem like a lot, but at a short track, it goes by extremely fast. And even more so when you consider stages of only 35 laps and for sure 15 laps, it's going to go by in a matter of a couple of minutes or three minutes or so. And so it's, um, there's a huge sense of urgency not only in the open which is only um 85 laps but also with the all-star race itself they're both extremely short races the the races are going to go by extremely fast and i think what that lends itself to is the potential for extremely aggressive racing which is what you'd want to see in an all-star race but i think what it does is it. Um, helps liven up an event that I think has been in need of some livening up in recent times. Um, That's not to say that we've seen terrible races at Charlotte, but I think that it was time for a change and Bristol really, I think provides the perfect opportunity to liven the all-star race up. So short segments, or I should say short stages, I think lead to more aggressive racing. And I think that um, it's going to put on a, a pretty good show. Um, I kind of wanted to speak specifically about the numbers. I'm not sure I was on the show where that was talked about. Maybe I was. I can't remember. But um, as far as I just kind of wanted to get my thoughts on it, you know, I know there's been a lot of negativity, I think, surrounding the change. Um, obviously, hmm. since I've been watching the sport, I've only known the number to be in the middle of the door. So it's a little bit of a, I guess, bittersweet, just because I'm a fan of tradition uh, to some extent. But at the same time, you know, change isn't necessarily a bad thing, and if it gives more exposure to sponsors in terms of placement on the car, then then that's a good thing. So, at the end of the day, I think I'm I'm more concerned with a good racing product over, um, you know, where a, a number is placed on the race car. And if overall we we continue to see good racing in the future then then that's really what the focus needs to be about um curious to see what the cars look like i've seen some schematics online but you know certainly curious to see what the field looks like as a whole so um but more importantly i, I think that uh, when we look at the the racing format for these for the open and the all-star race both very quick races aggressive racing and uh, probably something worth watching for sure
0: Without a doubt, I agree with you I think uh, the short uh, stages uh, Four stages in that uh, All-Star race I think uh, that's smart on NASCAR's part Um, 55 laps kind of allows them To kind of get settled in And and see where their car is uh, To start that first lap But then the 35 35 and 15 uh, Is going to make it It is going to go pretty fast Um, So uh, I think it's interesting that they're doing the uh, green flag and yellow flag laps are counting in stages one to three. Um, and then, of course, only uh, only the green flag laps are going to count in the last stage. And that's because it's so short. So I guess that makes sense as well. Uh, with regard to the car numbers, um, I agree, Andy. I think this is, It's more about the racing on the track than it is about where the number is on the car. And let's face it, this has been a tough year with COVID-19 for a lot of these businesses, and I think it's good to give them as much exposure as we possibly can uh, in these races, and especially when you're talking about uh, uh, an exhibition race, as it is with the All-Star in the uh, Open. So I think it's a good move by NASCAR uh, to kind of pander to the, to the sponsors a little bit and give them more exposure. Um, and, and I definitely agree with Andy. This should be about the racing that happens on the track, on the track and not where the car number is on the car. So that leaves it, leads us to you, Jay. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I'll start with the car number, and I know we were on, and Mike was on, and you know, I know Mike's uh, had had a similar sentiment as to what Andy mentioned there of the tradition of the NASCAR number where it was at located, versus IMSA and other series that have used the the rear quarter panel. Um, again, I I could care less. I really could. Um, where that car number is, um, like you said, if it it's what this benefits the sponsors and their exposure then it needs to be done because, like you said, that is what this sport is driven off of and has been hurting as of late. So uh, more power to them on that. I'm, I'm not going to fight it, the fact that it's tradition or not, uh, of where that car number is. When it comes to the format, and here's where, and you guys kind of hit on it, but you look at previous previous all-star races at a mile-and-a-half track, normally the final segment was 10 laps, green flag only. But on a mile-and-a-half That's 30, and I'm not real good at math. 30 and and another half is, what, 35, 40 miles in that final segment. You're already getting better action, in my opinion, by putting it on a short track of a half mile. To me, then, though, that final segment should have been maybe 20 or 25 laps because it is a shorter track. Um, So I'm a little concerned that maybe they're doubling up on the intensity level. You're already on a short track, and you cut it down mileage-wise, not lap-wise, but mileage-wise, I would have thought they would have gone with at least maybe a 20-lap segment. I mean, you think about a 20-25 lap on a half-mile track is still a decent race, if you will. Um, So that was where my concern came in, was that final segment only being 15 laps.
0: Okay. Andy, follow-up?
2: It is extremely short, you know, and I think when you look at you know 15 second lap times at bristol it's going to go it's going to be a, a matter of you know a few minutes before it's all said and done so um you know and that may be something that needs to be tweaked in the future should you know the all-star race continue to be held at bristol or or perhaps move to another short track in the future so it it is really quick i think that um yeah, I think it's going to be over the top intense. I mean, everyone's going to be going for it and, I'm sure, you know, probably be a few bent up race cars as a result of that. So um, it does seem really short to me. You know, I don't really know what the ideal length is, maybe more like, you know, 20, 25 laps, I guess. But certainly curious to see how that plays out because those 15 laps will be over before you know it
0: and and that's part of what's going to kind of add some excitement i think. It is going to ramp up the intensity and uh these guys are going to be coming off pit road uh you know and they're going to be wanting to get up at the front as quickly as they possibly can. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Um i think it's an okay thing. I I uh, unless I'm proven otherwise, I guess, at the race this weekend, uh, right now, I, or not this weekend, but when they go on July 15th, um, uh, uh, right now, I think it's a good thing, and I think the intensity is a good thing. We'll see how it plays out. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think like you said, maybe it's a learning thing. They started at fifteen. Um, I would have I, w- I would have started with twenty, and then maybe gone to even twenty-five for that final segment. I mean, if you break it down into fifteen-second laps, that's three to five minutes for that final segment. Um, you know, which I know you're there for the whole event. Uh, if you're going to be there in the, one of the thirty thousand in attendance, or even watching it on TV, that that final segment just to, to me seems like it's going to be off, too quick. You know. Uh, you know, that's the payoff mm-hmm. in, in the final, final race or, or segment, um, having it a little bit, at least a little bit longer. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you're right, the intensity is going to be there. Like I said, it's on a half-mile short track in Bristol. We've seen a Jackson racing action there. Um, I think doubling that with the uh, short short lap count uh, might be a little too much of ramping that intensity up. Uh, we might see more yellow flag laps than green flag laps
0: Okay uh, Any? I, I don't really have any follow up to you Jay or Andy uh,
2: Nope I do not
0: Okay uh, I'm trying to see What we can do uh, There's no fans at the stands again This weekend Any thoughts about that Jay.
4: I,
1: I do think it's a shame but i also understand that nascar is working with the the different states the government the conditions ever-changing conditions um yeah it isn't cool uh, there's other words i could use there but um it's one of those things we we got to work with what what we have uh you know nascar has done what they can when it came to miami homestead Talladega, this all-star race, moving it to Bristol versus Charlotte, because I I don't know that Charlotte was going to be able to allow it. So um, it's one of those things until the conditions in in the health department improve. And I think what they're doing, I know they talked about that um, again on race hub of the procedures that they're taking to have fans check things that they can bring in uh, or can't bring in more importantly, um, versus before, once we get back to better conditions, I won't say normal, but better conditions, that they're going to be that front leader in that as far as that amount of people in one location. So the world's going to be looking at it. You know, baseball's starting up again this week, and I don't know what their standard is as far as fan access, but NASCAR has set the standard and, and been the front leader in that. And so that's another one where they're making sure all their T's are crossed and I's dotted and what they're doing to see if we can't establish a new norm, at least again, until conditions improve where we get a wide open. Um, I know some of the drivers, Kevin Harvick being one, saying he won't do burnouts until the fans are back. Tony Stewart partially, or part of his reason for withdrawing from the Indy race was lack of fans in the stands. Um, I understand the frustration, but it's not just about me and whether or not I want to be at the track. It's the overall health of
2: the world.
0: Okay,
2: Andy. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly disappointing, Um, you know, especially when you look at the historic nature of this weekend. It's not only a crown jewel event, but, you know, for the first time, it will be a double header weekend with the IndyCar Series and the Xfinity Series running on the road course for the first time. So certainly would have been a really cool opportunity for fans to attend. Um, Same thing with Pocono last weekend. I know that was actually originally a race weekend I had looked at doing, Um, you know, the doubleheader weekend at Pocono, ultimately those plans um, fell through early in the year, so it never came to fruition anyway. But, um, you know, certainly there's some, you know, unfortunate missed opportunities for the fans. Um, You know, really, when you look at it, we haven't really had any real races yet where, where the fans have been able to attend. I think Talladega was the first one that even allowed regular race fans in. And even then you had to have tickets and you already you know to the event from earlier in the year and you you had to live within a certain proximity proximity to the racetrack so i think the i think no fans at kentucky next week right and then i think um also kansas later in the month is no fans. so i think right now the only ones that um that i can think of that are even allowing them is the all-star race which is you know i think 30,000 only um texas I think is allowing them in, in New Hampshire. So there's really only been like four. I think what four or five races that have even allowed spectators, and that's Cup Series only. Truck and Xfinity have yet to allow fans in. So certainly a very restricted year, uh, Sharon. I know we'll we can do the 10:30 mark here in just a second, so I'll make it quick. But um, certainly. You know, I'm grateful for the fact that they're back racing. We can watch on TV, and you know, obviously, we all want to try to go to these things. But you know, if this is the year that we watch on TV for the most part, I'm at least grateful for that.
0: Yes, indeed. Okay, and thank you, Andy. We we uh, do a little spiel here at this time because we're going to go off the air at exactly 10:30 p.m. Eastern time, uh, but. I want to reassure fans that we will continue to record the rest of the conversation, and that part is available on our podcast. If you've listened up to this point, all you have to do is fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation once the podcast becomes available. What I do is I go out on Twitter and I post that the podcast is available so that uh, fans know uh, it might take a couple minutes for them to finish the download, but uh, it's usually fairly shortly after that that you'll be able to go to the podcast and hear the rest of the conversation. Podcast listeners will be able to listen straight through without any any interruption. So, uh, But we don't want to take anybody by surprise by going off air midstream of a sentence. So we like to alert everybody at this point of the show. So with that, I'm going to kind of uh, go in and just say that um, I, I agree with you guys. It's it's the right thing to do given the uh, situation, and each state has, is at a different place. So this is about uh, keeping everybody healthy and safe, and uh, it's the right thing to do. I, I At the same time, I'm I am a little disappointed. You, they're going to be honoring the front line and military heroes in the NASCAR Salutes, uh, refreshed by Coca-Cola, and that's that's disappointing as well because this is an opportunity for some of those people to be able to maybe be at a track and see a race and and be introduced to the sport either uh, you know from either either one of those categories, but. I know we've done it successfully in the past. They'll do a good job of doing it again this week. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's just a shame that it, it that it is what it is this year. And everybody's uh, just trying to make the best of the, of the, the situation. And uh, I know they'll do everything they can to make the best of it this weekend at Indianapolis as well. So any follow-up from you, Jay?
1: Well, and I don't know which ones were listed as I know several. I think Andy mentioned tech, keeping in mind that again, this could be a fluid thing because right now I highly doubt Texas is going to be allowed to. I know they've become a hot spot again yeah. with increased numbers, um, so that may change. Um, and again, fans just have to understand that you know NASCAR is like I said, working with each state, each each location, and, and doing what is best and what's necessary. So. Uh, frustrated or not that you, you can't just lash out and take it out on the, on the sanctioning no. body uh, or the government, you know, all of that. Um, we all got to deal through this, go through this. We're all having to deal with the same things, whether we're disappointed or not. So uh, make the best of it.
3: Andy. Yeah,
2: yeah that, that is the important thing to remember is that, you know, this is going to change and there will be races, which were supposed to have fans that may not have fans, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm prepared for that. I got extremely lucky in that my home track is allowing fans as of right now, but there's part of me that knows in the back of my mind that might not actually get to go. So, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the way this is going to go this year. And it certainly, um, it's just part of the process, but, you know, I think, you know, as disappointed as we all are, I know we probably all wanted to get to a handful of events this year Um, you know I'm just thankful they even came back I think you know for me that was the big thing is if if I have to sit home and watch on TV then then that's awesome that's cool because a lot of other entities in sports haven't been able to do that yet and I think that it just goes to show you you know the amount of effort that NASCAR put into this in working with the CDC and local governments to try to make something happen for its fans And, and for that I'm appreciative and um all it does is, I think, make us look forward that much more to when we can go, you know, and hopefully um, hopefully, that's at some point this year, and if not, then we'll just have to ramp it up that much more for 2021. So, um, like I said, just glad that they've been racing, and, and, you know, if they can get a full season in this year with all of their divisions, then that's a huge win for the sport.
0: Absolutely. You guys are so right. Uh, big, big kudos to NASCAR for doing everything that they're doing They're one of the first, They are the first sport I think That really uh, put themselves out there To make sure that they were able to continue The sport uh, for fans uh, In spite of the COVID-19 pandemic And uh, do it in a safe way For everybody involved And and uh, you got to give a lot of kudos For NASCAR for doing that And uh, being, a, being Willing uh, to put They're themselves out there to make that happen. So, um, you know, we all make the best of it, and we'll just move on from here. So, Jay or Andy, I think it's your turn for the next hot topic. Well, to
2: this point, I think, Jay, you had something you wanted us to discuss from Monday Night Show, and I can't figure out what that is at the moment. Do you have that written down by chance? Uh.
1: Um, if we wanted to do it now I know Mike uh, I don't know if Mike was going to be here on Monday I think we, both of you said you were going to be here on Monday um, If we wanted to hold it till then Or if we wanted to do it tonight But it had to do with We talked about the, the triple header at, at Pocono And I know during that week Or that race in the chat room You guys talked about running All three series together At the same time on the same track <laughs> In what I call the, the Grand Am style Like the 24 hours of Daytona uh, the Rolex 24.
0: Okay. Andy, your thoughts about that?
2: Well, if you came to the grandstands to see a demolition derby and a complete disaster, then that's exactly what, that's exactly what they should do. Um, I think that would be, it. it's kind of intriguing, but at the same time I think it'd be a huge mistake. I mean, we saw, you know, how things went for, the truck and Xfinity series just on their own. Um, So if you were to put all three divisions out there at the same time with, um, what would that be like 90 V? Well, I guess probably 70 or 80 vehicles at the same time. uh, Yeah, yeah, uh, that would, that would not end well. So as, as cool as it might sound, I think it's unfortunately a pretty bad idea that should never be approached ever in NASCAR um, I'm not really sure how IMSA does it, um, but I mean, I guess that road course is just so big that, uh, they're able to get spread out enough where it never becomes a factor, you know, and you'd think Pocono would be big enough, but based on what we saw, you know, certainly out of the truck and Xfinity events, I, oh boy, that would not be good.
0: <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel the same way you've got, you know, trucks are just built so differently. Uh, from the Xfinity and the uh, Cup cars. In addition to the fact that you've got the Xfinity cars, they're lighter than what the Cup Series cars are. Uh, it's just not a fair race, I don't think. And I think you're just asking for disaster um, for some of these teams uh, in, in that event. Um, I, I it, it, On the surface, it just doesn't sound like a good idea to me. What are your thoughts, Jay?
1: Well, I will agree with one thing. It, it would have to be at a particular track or two. Um, obviously, the, the IMSA series makes it work at the road course at Daytona. Um, some of the things you're talking about, though, that is part of it. You see and, – and you're not looking for a fair race because it's going to be your cup guys against your cup guys. They just have the obstacle of the two other divisions. You know, so yeah. when you look at the IMSA racing, a good, it's a matter yeah. of where you finished in class. Okay. So it's not that you're looking for a fair competitive race between a truck and a cup car, but, and the the difference between the cup and the, or the two cars in the truck is where my concern would come in. Um, as you mentioned, the way they handle, but I think at certain tracks, uh, it could work. And I, Pocono is one that I would pick as a triable, um, The other would be a road course. Now, I don't know that it could be one of the man-made ones, the Rovals per se, but one like that, such as what Daytona does. Um, I think it could be worked. The one thing I hadn't thought about when when Andy gave the number there, if you're talking about 40 cup drivers, 40 Xfinity drivers, and 30-some trucks, you're talking 120 cars, so it might have to be in... I'll throw this out there under the uh, the Jay Hoosman Cup series. There's your all star <laughs> event. Take five or ten from each series, your your top ten winners or, or something from the three series, so it's thirty total, ten from each, and then do it as an all star format. Or at least try it, like you said, try things at the all star race and see how they work and then go from there, so
0: interesting concept, Jay. Or Andy, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, and we may see this at some point. Um, that's a better idea, you know, to take, say, 10 from each series for an all-star race. That That's something that I could get on board with. I think that would be more reasonable than trying to throw all three series out there at once and say, have at it, boys, because <laughs> that would that'd be pretty rough. Um, but, yeah, I mean. I, I, that is an intriguing all-star idea, you know, with no more than, say, 30, maybe 40 vehicles at the most. You know, I think that you can get spread out enough, you know, with the varying speeds where it would it would be entertaining and it wouldn't be such a wreck fest. Um, so that's an intriguing idea that I could get on board with. And, um, hey, you never know. If, um, if Jay takes over the series, speaking of which, Jay, if it was the Jay Hoosman Cup Series, you'd have to be out there with the cone at the all-star race yourself, right?
1: <laughs> hey, I'd do it, man. It'd be like, As they come by, I'll stand there and hold it. Once they get there, I'll I'll make a run for it. I got no problem with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, it, it might be a little bit better of an idea to do it thir- with 30 cars versus 100 me here's the thing. We've got cup series drivers that already get frustrated with cup series drivers that they don't feel are up to par. And I just can't imagine uh, what their thoughts would be about driving against truck series guys and having to encounter them in traffic and get around them because the the trucks are just going to handle so differently than the rest. I, I, I don't know. It's, Still doesn't sound like a really good idea to me, but the All Star format sounds maybe a little bit more doable um, and entertaining in a in a very different way. I don't know how much racing there'd actually be, but well, it's it's a, it's a fun thing to think about.
1: <laughs> if if you've watched like the 24 Hours of Daytona, when a Daytona prototype comes up on one of the others they definitely have to adjust how they're driving. They can't just run, hammer down, throttle wide open. They know that they're coming up on that car. They got to pick their spot then to pass. And most times those other classes do when they know it's a prototype coming, pick a different lane to allow the preferred lane to the prototype. So, again, it it would be something to get accustomed to. But, yeah, you would have to adjust where you're not going to necessarily be full throttle all the time as you come up on another car like that that's not of the same class,
0: and that's like a Rolex Twenty Four kind of thing, right?
1: <laughs> right,
0: right. Are we talking about running the the Cup Series uh, for twenty four hours?
1: No, no, and that that actually that one had been uh, come up as well. I, I know that I've heard a couple of different ones. Uh, I believe it was on Sirius XM with Dave Moody. Um, some wild different ones of going back to even like the Cannonball Run. Uh, I think that was uh, I think that was last year's prior to the All Star race at last year, uh, kind of a combination of different callers calling in. What the conclusion was was you start all the drivers that are eligible at Daytona, turn them loose. They got to drive to Charlotte. First one to Charlotte gets the pole. Second one second. That was how they were determining the starting lineup for the uh, All Star race, since that one's always oh, kind of yeah. been a open draw or whatever. So, yeah, do it Cannonball Run style. You start Daytona. First one to Charlotte.
2: Gets the poll.
0: Interesting, Andy.
2: <laughs> I don't know about that concept, but I would love to see a 24 hour cup race. Um, you know, I think that the, the Rolex is pretty cool. I've been fortunate to go to that race and um, see, you know, the afternoon and the nighttime and the morning side of it. And it would be so cool. I think to see, you know, three three to four drivers team up and run a cup car for 24 hours would be pretty awesome. You know, it'd be pretty cool to see with, them do it. The, um
0: with the Xfinity and and trucks on on track too.
2: It would be the same idea as what IMSA does. Yeah, so, so that would be um it's kind of neat. I don't know if there's, you know, <laughs> I don't know if there's enough drivers to go around really if you think about the top 3 series, maybe we'd have to get, you know, the ARCA and modified guys in there too, but um It'd be pretty cool to see him do it. Wishful thinking, I'm sure. I'm not sure we'll ever see that happen, but I think that uh, the 24-hour race concept is pretty cool, you know, and maybe someday we'll see him run an exhibition race and do it for for 24 hours or something like that. But it was – those endurance races are pretty neat to watch, and certainly um, that's a concept that I would love to see him do someday with with, uh, stock cars.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting concept when I think about – uh, if you're going to run all three series, uh, it seems like you need that extra time. Uh, and and it would settle people down a little bit, I think, in order to uh, be a little more forgiving or understanding of the other kind of vehicles that are on the track. So just a thought um, with regard to that. What? I, I it, it would be interesting to see if NASCAR ever does that, just for fun.
1: As as I think back now on the, on this, and, again, I was a part of that conversation, I know one of the things that got talked about, first off, you wouldn't be able to do a 24-hour with a NASCAR series. it is built for that. You would have to cut it down to a, an 8-hour or 10-hour, maybe a 12-hour race. Um, but one of the things, and, I, and I, that was another caller, said that each team, whatever cup team it's going to be, um, has to have one cup driver, one Xfinity driver, and one truck driver all in this, on that same team. Okay, so you take say, oh, just to last year's point. You so your champions, your top winners, it'd be Kyle Busch, Matt Crafton, and who won the Xfinity series, uh, Tyler Reddick. Okay, that's one Redding. team for that 12-hour period. You know, different ways, and part of that was to include what we talk about the all-star race, that the Xfinity and truck series don't get that. You know, they still get their popular driver and all that, but that's something they're not included in. So it kind of led into that of how to include all of the series into said All-Star event.
0: hmm Andy, any any additional comments?
2: Well, the only thing I can really say to that is if they can build an IMSA car to run 24 hours, I'm sure they could build a cup car to do it. It would probably take some engineering and it would they'd have to build them differently than they do the motors for sure but um i'm curious to see if one could last that long honestly um be kind of kind of fun to see for sure
0: do all of the Emsa cars make it the 24 hours, or do some of them fall out?
2: <laughs> no, nope. some fa- some, de- some some definitely fall out. There's no doubt about it, and that's the beauty of the race: is you know, can the can the suspension components hold up, and can the the engines hold up? And you know, we've seen you've seen you know teams go behind the wall in the garage for. For quite a bit of time, you know, during the nighttime or morning hours, and they come out and they finish the race, albeit they're way behind. But that's that's the that's the beauty of it is it's it's an endurance race, and you know sometimes, you know, the winning teams even go through adversity in the course of that period. I mean, twenty four hours is such a long time, so I would be curious to see if they could they could build a cup car to withstand that kind of um, that kind of length because you know obviously the way they build the vehicles now you know engines and chassis and whatnot, not they they're all built specifically for 3 4 500 miles but i'm sure that if they did some testing they could they could get those things to go for an entire day so would be fun to see if they could do it that's for sure
0: yep but i wonder about some of the fans that uh, complain about like the 600 is there where the racing isn't door to door action for 600 miles how they would feel about uh, having a race that long.
1: Well, that that's true, and that's what you run into. But, I mean, and that's one of those, like, if it's a one-time event, they might be willing to accept that, uh, just like, again, the 24 hours of Daytona. They don't do that every week. There's only two, maybe three right. 24-hour ones. The rest of them are six-, eight-hour 12 hours and it's just a different style. I mean, that's one of those you're going to get the NASCAR traditionalist. um, You know, this is This isn't tradition. That's their thing. Um, Again, it was just kind of a thought.
0: An interesting thought and fun to talk about for sure. Okay. Um, Any other uh, topics that we want to hit on before we close up? Jay,
1: Andy, uh, if if, uh, Andy, did you have any others?
2: Well, I'm not sure if this has been talked about on the show or not. It may, be, it may have been in my absence, but I've been reading more and more lately about the possibility of Kyle Larson and Tony Stewart getting together, and I'm not sure if either one of you have heard that rumor. I know it's been floating around for a long time, but it seems to be coming to fruition this year, and wanted to see what your thoughts were on that, You know, the impending possible return of uh, Kyle Larson to NASCAR for next season.
0: Okay. Jay, we have kind of talked about this, but let's go ahead and give our thoughts here.
1: Okay. Again, there's been rumor of him possibly going to IndyCar, um, possibly coming back to NASCAR with Stuart Haas, as he has mentioned. uh, Stuart Haas has mentioned he would like to have him. Uh, I can add a little bit to that, and I can't say for sure, but one of the top dirt late model teams recently split with a driver And I heard, Link, that they're offering that to Kyle Larson um, to come out of sprint cars to move over to the dirt late models uh, with the top team. So I don't know if there is any truth to that other than one of their top drivers did leave the team. So that possibility exists. As far as him coming back to Cup, I would like to see it. Um, I'd like to see him do what makes him happy first off. Um, I'll start there. So that is his decision. As a NASCAR fan, and that's what I follow, I would like to see him in NASCAR. I think Stuart Haas Racing would be a good fit if that situation would work out. Uh, I think it would accommodate him in doing his dirt racing schedule, as Tony Stewart does what he wants to do and did in his latter years. So I think that would be probably one of the very few good fits other than returning to Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, but as far as him going to IndyCar, again, I'm not a big IndyCar fan, but I would watch it just to see because I know what kind of talent he has and, and the storyline that would bring to that series. So, like I said, it's what Kyle Larson wants to do and, and makes him happy to start with.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the sponsorship, too. As much as we might like to see him come back to the Cup Series, if he can't get the sponsor, uh, that that is kind of the whole ball of wax right there. Uh, and so there are definitely some amends that need to be made In order for uh, sponsorship to happen for Kyle Larson um, And I agree, it would be great to see him with uh, Tony Stewart I think it w- it's a perfect match uh, for Kyle Larson to be matched in with uh, Stewart Haas Racing uh, But I agree too, IndyCar, it would be interesting to see what he can do in IndyCar as well um, but he seems to be pretty happy and doing really, really well in uh, the uh, sprint car racing. And it'll be interesting to see if he does get an opportunity in that dirt uh, late model uh, opportunity that you mentioned about um, and and see what he does there. I think wherever Kyle Larson goes, uh, fans are going to be interested in what it is. Uh, that he's going to be doing, um, but it, sponsorship is a big part of the equation here as to whether or not we're able to see him come back to NASCAR. Andy?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly a lot of moving parts here, but I think that um, the marriage of, of Stuart Haas Racing and Kyle Larson makes the most sense. Um, It -hmm. has been said that uh, Larson was actually the number one candidate for the 14 car when Tony retired, but because of his contract with Ganassi, um, they went with Boyer instead. So, you know, maybe this was, you know, a long time in the making. So certainly you could see that happening. I think it would be the only scenario that makes sense. And, you know, I've thought the same thing as you, Sharon, about sponsorship being an issue, but it really isn't because, if you think about it, you know they resurrected Kurt Busch's career with with Gene Haas putting Haas Automation on the car for the season, and they could easily do the same thing with a Larson car. They could just simply put Haas Automation on the car. They have they have certainly done this in the past with drivers that are you know may have had some issues and whatnot, where they have essentially funded the car because you know they have the funding to do so. So I'm not I'm not necessary. I'm not sure that, that sponsorship would really be a major issue. There may be some existing sponsors on the team that may may or may not have issues with, with him. I'm not sure, but certainly if they wanted to fund a full-time effort for him, they could do it and it wouldn't be an issue. Um, the only hang-up that I see would, would come possibly from the manufacturer in Ford because um, they tend to, you know, this is something that maybe not a lot of the fans know is manufacturers have a pretty big say in who drives the cars, especially, um, I think, when you look at Toyota, you know, and their push to get Christopher Bell in a cup car um, as a Toyota development driver, and I think the same with Ford. Um, They've invested heavily in Chase Briscoe, you know, in the past few years and up to this point this year, and, you know, I think if it came down to you know, Larson or Briscoe I think that, you know, Ford would probably make a push to put Briscoe in the car. That being said, you know, Larson would bring a veteran um a a veteran presence to the team and would probably really help bolster a second car. Um it's no secret that, you know, Harvick has been the clear cut leader at that team. The other three teams have struggled in recent times. And you know Almirola and Boyer both in contract years, you you could see a bit of a shakeup at that team for 2021. So certainly a lot of moving parts, a lot of behind the scenes action. I'm sure. Um, I think Kyle deserves a second chance. I think he's a he's an extremely brilliant talent when you look at what he can do in all forms of motorsports. Um, and that's certainly a marriage that would make sense. But the logistics really is what it comes down to. And It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I love silly season. It's uh, always a fun time of the year, and quite honestly, it's been kind of quiet uh, so far for 2021. So that's (laughs) the first little tidbit that I've seen in recent times, and um, I'm sure as the summer unfolds here, we'll learn more about what's going to happen. But um, it's no secret that that team and Kyle Larson have been trying to get together for some time, and if they do, it would not be a surprise at all.
0: Yeah, I think it would be a pleasant, uh, pleasant thing to happen, and a good thing. And I agree with you that he deserves a second chance. Uh, he's gone through the sensitivity training. The only thing is, uh, he hasn't made that request. I do think that uh, the the manufacturer would be the hang up there. Uh, if Ford if Ford uh, is able to make that work. Uh, then I see it as more of a possibility. But for all of the reasons that you brought up, uh, I agree with you. I think the hang-up would be the manufacturer. So uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see how it plays out. Uh, Like I said, I I think fans would love to see Kyle Larson come back into the sport, and uh, if he does, that would be great. And if he doesn't, I, I know fans are going to follow him, no matter where he does go with his racing endeavors. So anything more? We're coming up on the top of the hour there, Jay.
1: No, like I said, it's going to be a, a matter of up to Kyle Larson. The one thing, and I know Mike brought this up, of uh, the possibility of a Haas, rate or a Haas automation, you got to remember that they're mm-hmm. already pretty much behind Cole Custer. So I don't know that they could afford to do a second team. And then you guys have mentioned that you got got um, Chase Briscoe As far as coming up the pipeline uh, As well So there are like you said A lot of different components um, Especially in sponsorship Obviously a very heavy
0: one of them um,
1: All the way around
0: Yes indeed Okay Uh, I think this is probably a good point For us to uh, Close out the show We're about four minutes from the top of the hour Uh, And uh, Andy We'll start with you on uh, what you're working on and social media handles.
2: Yeah, Twitter is uh, last 14 I still have to work on my Hot Topics piece. Um, I've been busy at work this week, which is a good thing, um, so hopefully you can get that written at some point in the near future, especially next week because I won't be able to be on Monday, unfortunately, get some uh, mm. family stuff going on with the holiday weekend. But... Um, we're looking to get a piece done here. Um if not the end of this week certainly next week in lieu of my absence Monday night. And hope everyone enjoys the 4th of July weekend. I know I will. And uh really excited uh for the Brickyard action. In particular the Xfinity road course. Really looking forward to that. So uh should be a lot of fun and uh certainly uh hope everyone has a great 4th of July. Okay. Jake
0: okay.
1: Uh, you can follow me on uh, Michael Hoosman on Facebook, Mopar mj 8 on Twitter and Instagram. And with what we've talked about as far as the uh, COVID, I hope everybody enjoys the 4th of July in a smart and healthy, safe manner.
0: Yes, that's a very good point. Uh, fan for racing site on Twitter. We are fan for racing blog and radio everywhere else on social media, including our website at fan dot um, I know that uh, Owen still has a uh, uh, power ranking to come out here Uh, in addition to Andy's hot topics. uh, We finished up the uh, 48 series this week with uh, the last segment, uh, the last part of that series. So it's time for us to start up a new series with Mike Rozelle on the inactive tracks uh, within NASCAR And uh, his thoughts about their potential for coming back onto the schedule Uh, So look for those to be coming out um, And we'll do them very similar to the way we did with the uh, number 48 series So uh, with that, I think uh, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to this weekend of racing And like you guys, I'm, I'm excited about the road course race with the Xfinity Series I can't wait to see how that plays out and uh, definitely looking forward to uh, all of the racing that's taking place this weekend. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. So uh, with uh, Jay's comments, uh, I echo that as well. Everybody, please stay safe. Uh, don't take any chances. Wear your mask and and uh, be safe while you enjoy time with your family and friends. Okay, everybody, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, guys. All right, have a great night.
1: And have a good night and weekend.
0: Okay. Enjoy your race weekend, everybody. And be safe and uh, enjoy the holiday. Good night.